This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Happy Monday to you. You did it. You made it through the weekend. Now you get to get back to work. Put your shoulder to the will. So to speak. So to speak. Welcome to Workforce Development Week. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Last week was Infrastructure Week. This is Workforce Development, Development Week. Development Week. I'm telling you. He's got something every week. Themed weeks. Uh, today is also Jeff Sessions uh, takes a beating week. Or, or that, yeah, because tomorrow he apparently is going to uh, sit in front of some committee and answer questions. Yeah. And, yeah. He's in a bit. I mean, the reality is it's just we just rotate turns. Yeah. There's just Last another week, person. Bring him in. Comey this week. A few weeks ago, Kushner. Mm. Oh, I see. This so week's sessions. Jeff's come going in front of the uh, yeah. Foreign Relations Committee or yep. the Oversight Committee or so, something? Yeah, he now gets to talk uh, about Russia. Mm. And he knows Well, doesn't nothing? everybody get a chance? Yeah. Isn't that everybody, what Andy Warhol said? Everybody gets 15, 15, 15 minutes, minutes in, of front fame. Of, in front in, of this. In the Trump camp, uh, everybody gets seven and a half minutes, but they, <laughs> they just keep rotating every couple of months. It's a uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Again, um, it doesn't seem like we know much no. more than we knew two weeks ago with Comey. I mean, did it seem like we got that much new information out of that? What I enjoy is things that were mentioned two months ago were mentioned again in these hearings and people act like it's brand new information yeah. because they weren't listening two months ago. Well, and, but now it's validated because it was in a, a hearing with under Well, oath. I mean, before it was like, you know, committee chairman senators standing in a hallway. They said it, yeah. but apparently yeah. it doesn't matter. So. Yeah, no one listens to the senators. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the fun uh, political news, of course, um, today. Also, we're going to be talking about your, the work, uh, the work environment, the work world. It's changing. Will your job be around? It is Workforce Development Week. We're because it's it off Workforce style. Development Week. Sure. Uh, by the way, I looked up my job on a website to see if it will be around. Well, don't do that. Uh, yeah, it will be. Yeah. They can't really automate what we do. No. It is to a level of... Depending on your opinion, usefulness or uselessness, yeah. that automating it makes it difficult. Kind of my marriage counseling world, I have about a 3% chance that that'll be automated out. Eh. So that's good. I've got great odds there. Uh, radio, about an, a 22% chance that that's going to go away. Well, it depends. Because there's, there's shrinkage in the industry. There's your sort of FM music station. Mm-hmm. That could be automated. In yeah. fact, it, it has been automated. Yeah. Most of what you hear is recorded and people that's aren't why, even in the studio. But, that's why we like satellite but, tele- or satellite radio. But this kind of a interaction, even on list a, a talk radio format, it's more difficult because you're looking at like, you know, chunks of time where you're talking and you yeah. just can't automate that. Well plus there's a level of brilliance that happens. That I think just, I think oh, there's some of it's just rugged good looks, you know? Some of it's just be. I think it's some of it's just, you know, the incredible entertainment value. Mm. Stuff like that. I just, uh, I just think that. So we're going to revisit an interview we we did uh, with Ray Williams about uh, some some research about Oxford University from Oxford University. Will machines take over your job? Yes. No. Oh, really? No. Oh, I got that wrong. I thought I looked that up. They already have. 
Yeah, it's too late. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's his voice. I heard this whisper. Sean O'Neill is filling in at the keyboard today. <laughs> keyboard? Uh, wow. <laughs> Terry's on drums. I'm on bass. Yes. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, good to have you here. Yes. So uh, bright and early. Sean Elton John O'Neill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot you were named after Elton John. <laughs> is that why you've got that boa on? <laughs> exactly. Sean's wearing a boa this morning. <laughs> and some flamboyant glasses. Have you noticed how hard it is to match a boa? Oh, yeah. You know? It's because they fall apart. Yeah, they do. Yeah. My kids are going to um, a, 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 what do they call them? A school leadership <laughs> camp. Hmm. And oh, okay. so they, they have to for take. For school government? Yeah, for school yeah. government. Mm-hmm. And they have to take crazy clothes. So we're packing them for all of their skits at their their retreat. But And I'm like, you're taking that and you're you're wearing a cowboy hat and what's with the boots? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, are they going to learn leadership or are we just going to do like – No, they're going to learn how to be in front of a crowd. That's that's it. That's what they need. Yes. That's exactly what they Presentation need. Presentation skills. Mm-hmm. But well, can't you teach them that, Matt? Oh, yeah. You kind of do that. But, you know, it's one of those things where they don't listen to their parents. Uh, why would kids listen to parents? Why start now? I know. Why start now? So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Of course, some empty news throughout the show as well. Empty news. Remember, that's Matt Townsend News. First on the scene, fifth on the facts. That's just how we roll. But to the real news by Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? Puerto Rico's governor announced that the U.S. territory overwhelmingly chose statehood on Sunday in a non-binding referendum held amid a deep economic crisis that has sparked an exodus of islanders to the U.S. mainland. Nearly half a million votes were cast for statehood, about 7,600 for free association independence, and nearly 6,700 for the current territorial status, according to preliminary results. Mm. So you're looking at it, a half a million votes for statehood. Wow. Voter turnout was just 23%, leading the opponents to question the validity of a vote that several political parties had urged their supporters to boycott. Well, no, hold on. But what happens, let's say they all vote for it, then it seems like you would have to come to the states. Well, yeah, the U.S. And Congress then, has final say. So, And where is this at again? Puerto Rico. Mm, I mean, uh, we should pick up Puerto Rico. And it's non-binding. And well, we need the baseball players. Totally. 23%, not even a quarter of the population voted. So Yeah, probably not happening for a while. Well, that, hey, 23% is, that's not bad. Sure. Voter turnout in, yeah, in the rest of the United States, you, right? come on. That'll be the midterm elections coming up pretty soon. You got that right. Mm-hmm. An Indiana firefighter is warning parents about fidget spinners. The popular fad toy. What? Who's after, not warning him? Are they starting his, fires? After his daughter daughter n- nearly choked on a metal piece that flew off, the child yeah. was spinning her fidget spinner while sitting in the backseat of the car when one of the metal bearings broke off and flew into her mouth, according to a Thursday Facebook wow. post. Oh, yeah. He goes, I, the firefighter said, I did about five minutes of back blows, and with her coughing, it became dislodged and went into her stomach. Mm. The girl was hospitalized, later released. A photo of the x-ray showed the metal piece stuck in her stomach. It's kind wow. Of, gross thanks uh thankfully it's turned out well but please be aware it can be a choking hazard there are small parts involved and this is what we talked about last week where they've jumped into the market and there hasn't been any sort of governmental testing that other toys go through to make sure they're yeah not when you're when you're spinning your fidget spinner I'm, and things are flying off of it i'm pretty sure there's a lot of senators that are fidget spinning oh yeah in washington and others that are probably figuring out legislation outlaw something that's i don't fun. know about that Scary. that's how things work Sam, the, those fidget spinners though i mean you could pop those bearings out oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. and swallow the whole thing mm-hmm. well yeah but let's not do that i wouldn't no i wouldn't <laughs> do that would i in other news sam 
Panopopoulos. You ever Who? heard of that Who? name? San Panopopoulos. Panopopoulos. He died at age 83, leaving his legacy that has delighted, confused, and appalled diners worldwide. Wow, what was the legacy? Yeah. As it says, often at the same time. He is the inventor of Hawaiian pizza. Oh, I love this guy. A dish so divisive it has led to to an Icelandic presidential outburst earlier this year. We've done a survey on the show, and our listeners love. Gordon Ramsay himself said, you do not put pineapple on a pizza. No, but Gordon Ramsay has other problems. He passed away. that's true. Uh, let's see. Sam Pop- Panopoulos died on Sunday or on Thursday. He uh, immigrated to Canada from Greece in 1954 when he was 20. Eventually, going on to own and operate several successful restaurants with his two brothers. It was in one of these restaurants in 1962 that the brothers looked at a pizza and went, "Huh, here's a can of pineapple. Let's do it." Oh, that is. I love those guys. So. Mm. People are, you know, people hate it. People love it. It's really divisive. You ruin perfectly pizza. good pizza dough when you put pineapple on it. Yeah. And finally, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat yeah. the Nashville Predators 2 nothing to win their second consecutive Stanley Cup. Oh, two in a row. I didn't know it was two in a row. So That's there cool. you go. They're the first team in nearly a decade to win back-to-back Stanley Cup titles. Well, aren't the Predators the ones that throw fish? Then? Yeah, they were throwing the catfish and stuff. So that was really the story of the oh, come on. that we cared about. In Detroit, they throw octopus. I wasn't they? even aware they were that far into the NHL finals, but it's over. And over the weekend, Adam West died at oh, age 88. Yes, that's too bad. But that shows you what wearing tights can the do. Ma- holy tights, the, Batman. The mayor of Quahog is now not with us anymore. Wow. He was the mayor of Quahog? Yeah, if you watch Family Guy, he's the voice of Oh, that okay. I'm sorry. Wow. I did not know what the mayor of Quahog was. That's why I said it. I mm-hmm. thought you were going all Batman on me. No, I Are you okay? I mean I know this is traumatic to I don't lose really one of your... like that Batman, yeah. so we're... Holy Batman, Batman. You don't hold on. You don't like that Batman. Yeah, that sounds. Some people don't like, like that elitist. Batman because it's it's too campy. It's too campy. It's the too show. Goofy. Not no. necessarily Adam West himself, but the show. See, I was. Yeah, but it was like the '60s, right? It was well, '60s. I, I, I don't like the fact that it's got such a. Uh, I, I understand it having a cult following, but when people think well. They go to a movie and see, you know, Christian Bale as Batman or yeah, Michael yeah, Keaton as Batman. They go, no, that's not Batman. Adam West was Batman. It's like, yeah. I grew up and I saw the Batman, those shows from the 60s. And I'm like, all right, this is what it is. Yeah. And then when I was 12, I sat down in a theater and watched Michael Keaton hang someone off the side of a building. That's Batman. And go, I'm Batman. And I'm like, there we go. That's real Batman. Yeah. You notice I didn't mention Batfleck. Yeah. Who? Batfleck? Mm-hmm. Is that like... He doesn't like the current incarnation of Batman. Oh, okay. We're not going to go all geek on this right now, are we? Sort we of. could. We're close. There was a there was some trailers over the weekend. That okay, here's a question. Let's just change the subject. Really interested me. Speaking of fine. Batman... 16 million views in three days. Uh, it's fine. You, you guys... Really? Yeah. That's Wonder Woman. No, that was uh, Black yeah. Panther. Yeah. Oh, brother. Yeah. Don't even go there. I missed half of a basketball game because I kept watching the trailer over and over. You're kidding me. Well, no. They played it in the first quarter of Friday night's game. Well, how many oh, times wow. can one watch a trailer? As many times as you one can. Wants. I mean, it just hit plays. As many times play. as my internet will allow. Yeah, <laughs> keep going and going. You guys need a life. Not to be rude. And then I had to put it on the big sound system I was watching it oh, on because gosh. it sounds really good. No. Wow. Yeah, and that took a while because it wasn't my TV, so what are the settings? It's just a whole deal. Go ahead. Speaking of... Not Black Panther. Which Panther yeah. was it? It's Black, Black Panther. Panther. Hold on. 
It wasn't the Pink Panther. It was the Black Hold on. Panther. The Black Panthers he's, were a movement in the 70s. This right? is different. He's the king of the fictional African nation of Wakanda, yeah. which is where all the vibranium that they created things like oh. Captain America's shield. Out By of. the way, great point. Speaking and of vibranium. Ultron's army from the last – sorry, go ahead. Speaking of vibranium, did you know that um, – <laughs> are you a morning person or I guess what is a night no. person? Morning. Morning. Not morning. Sean's not a morning person. I'm, I'm probably – I'm not a morning person. I'm a night person. I've had to train myself to be a morning person, though. Seven uh, science-backed reasons why it's better to be a morning person. Mm. Are you ready? It's kind of depressing. Apparently, you might be happier. Morning people are happier than the rest of the air quote people. Okay. (laughs) Only the air quote people, not normal people? Uh, A 2012 study in emotion found that the tendency to wake up earlier, what scientists called morningness, was linked to higher self-reported happiness. Mm. So if you're a morning person, you're probably more likely to be happy. Isn't that called morning sickness? No, it's no, that, different. That's something different. Oh, okay. That's why Jeff's not here. No, his is, his is post-morning sickness. Yeah. Raising a child. Yeah. You, um, you might uh, weigh less, apparently. You're, if, you're not, if you're a morning person, you weigh less. What? Hmm. Last year, genetic testing company 23andMe studied nearly 90,000 people, and they found out that uh, morning people have a lower body mass index, or BMI, which on the show we have proved and invalidated yeah, as, a, as a tool to, uh, to judge someone's weight. It's officially bunk. It was never meant for humans. That's right. What was it meant for? Um, cargo? Cargo. Yeah. I have no idea. It was invented by UPS to, yeah. <laughs> to put as many boxes as they could. On an airplane. Yeah, so apparently you have lower BMI if you, if you get up in the morning. Hmm. You might uh, be able to keep the weight off uh, easier if, if you do that in the, if you're a morning person. Hmm. A database of people, of 700 people, found that they lost at least 30 pounds and kept it off for at least one year if they were a morning person. Early risers were able to do that. Hmm. Those people drive me crazy. You might sleep better. No. Yeah. Uh, 20% of self-identified morning people suffered from insomnia compared to 40% of night owls. You might have better mental health. This is explaining a lot. Among adolescents, having a later chronotype is associated with depression or depressive symptoms. So if you're a night owl, you're more likely to be depressed or have depressive symptoms. It's kind of depressing. It might be. Is that because you're up? In the portion, more, more, if you get up earlier, more time of your day is with the sun. Yeah. Whereas if you stay up later, more time is in darkness. It doesn't mean, well, what they're saying is, well, maybe that's a great point. It, it doesn't mean that night owl, being a night owl causes depression or that being a morning person will necessarily prevent it. Hmm. But if you are in like a, if a self, what is it, a self identified morning person, you tend to be more less depressive. Huh. You might lower your risk for diabetes and metabolic syndrome, according to research. You might also excel at work. <laughs> wow. The early bird gets the worm. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. According to Harvard Business Review, morning people tend to get better grades in school, which gets them into better colleges, which then can lead to better job opportunities. Ah, <sighs> great. So what are we supposed to do about that? What if you're just born... A night owl. I was. I know. Look how we turned out, Sean. I know. What are you going to do? Well, we will take a break is what we're going to do. When we come back, we're going to be talking about your work, your job. Will eventually machines take over? Stick with us. Interesting topic up next. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we got a great uh, topic coming up right now. You know, and it actually, the timing couldn't have been better. Today, the um, unemployment uh, numbers came out for January. Apparently, unemployment falls to 4.9%. It's the lowest in eight years. Um, It's below 5%, the first time since 2008. And so you think, hey... Good. Fewer people are unemployed, except here's the deal. Um, The future, you know, we live in the information age, right? And uh, we know that we have more and more artificial intelligence being used in products and services. We also know that uh, more robots are being used in manufacturing. So what does the future of of the job market look like? You know, is the economy going to continue to be able to produce jobs for people? Our guest today, Ray Williams, um, is is uh, suggesting that you know what we we might be looking at the end of work. In an article he wrote in PsychologyToday.com uh, by the same title, "The End of Work: The Rise and Fall of the Job," um, Ray talks about what uh, some of the scientists are saying about the future of jobs. And we've we've asked him to join us today to kind of walk us through some of his thinking and find out. If there's anything we we should be doing, paying attention to, maybe some things our children might want to be focused on when it comes to the future of employment. Ray Williams, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Now, now you are the president of Ray Williams Associates, which is a firm based in Vancouver, where you you go and work with executives, you coach them and and teach them, um, I guess, about about people and about work. What is where, – where are you getting the idea that the future of work is in jeopardy? Well, uh, a couple of sources, uh, and it's really kind of coming from a number of areas. Uh, one of them is the, the universities and research institutions uh, are starting to produce a lot of research that shows us that um, typical jobs that were done by humans – are slowly disappearing. And I'm going to use an example. Uh, the University of Manchester Automation Lab now has a robot that does their uh, does their research for them about fighting disease, to to invent disease fighting drugs. Mm. And it's just come up with one that identifies <clears throat> a, a component that they're going to use to combat malaria. There is no human. That was involved in doing that. This was a robot, an artificial intelligence program that conducted this. Um, We're developing machines that can actually repair other machines. They have a machine that can build an entire brick wall for a house or a dividing wall that requires no humans whatsoever. So what we're seeing is a revolution in the application of robotics nanotechnology, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, biotechnology that's occurring at a, a dizzying a pace that most people are just not aware of. Holy cow. I mean, and, and, and I guess everyone would say, well, yeah, but Ray, somebody has to run that machine. Well, sure, but if one person runs the machine and it displaces 10, then you're losing nine jobs. Exactly, and and the numbers may even be worse than that because oh. eventually we're we're going to be able to get a machine that can tend the other machines. <laughs> yeah, 
So the ser- the service, you now have a service robot that services the other robots. Mm. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're just beginning to see the, the beginnings of that that most people are probably aware of. So, you know, replacement of checkout people in, in stores by the... Yeah, last night I bought my, I, I had to check myself out. And it's yeah. it's a it's an interesting and you, but again I always thought of it as well yeah but that would be in warehouses and manufacturing you know kind no. of more blue collar jobs but you're now saying no I mean the white collar jobs are in just as much jeopardy. In matter of fact, more so uh, in many ways, and, and it, it's kind of insidious, and we wouldn't think of that. So a good example would be there are going to be large numbers of jobs in medicine and health professions that will be replaced by artificial intelligence. And you, you love, the, I'm sure, Star Trek, the old Star Trek thing. Yeah, yeah. James Kirk. And and the doctor had this little handheld device that he go, and it would buzz as mm-hmm. he kind of scanned it over somebody. They're they're in the process of developing an MRI scanner that you can hold in your hand. Man. So <laughs> so we're seeing advances. Same thing in law. We, you talked about algorithms. Eventually, they're going to be able to commit so much information to algorithms for patterns where you can then apply it to a, a particular profession. So areas of medicine and law and finance, including the you know, stock market, are, will be replaced by artificial intelligence processes and require fewer and fewer humans. Well, this is depressing, Ray. It is. It's almost like someday they just there there will be no more need for humans. Well, the, the thing is, it's going to raise a you know number of uh, interesting issues, which I tried to identify in my uh, in my article. One of them is we're going to move to increasingly a temporary and contingent workforce where. More and more people won't have an actual permanent job, but will be uh, what, and it's called the gig economy, G-I-G, mm-hmm. where you have a you have a gig and you finish that job and you go on to another gig, and you market yourself, <clears throat> you market yourself out there to get uh, a series of gigs, and that becomes your employment. Um, so that that economy is growing hugely, uh, and you know a good example would be the people who are involved in, in Uber. Yeah. And and businesses like that, so those kind of businesses are proliferating. Well, and, and I uh, see I see it too online with like YouTube and video. That, I mean, yeah. you're only as good as your last video release, and you're only as good as uh, you know your ability to go do the next. It's almost like a musician, you know they they're only living gig by gig, and not not the technology gig. Um, right, and, but it's, and it's interesting. So that gig economy is going to start to spread into all kinds of jobs, hmm. and and more and more people um, who are the owners of companies and the corporations are going to say, "Why do we actually need to have full time employees?" Which yeah. will then create a, another problem. The people in the gig economy, you don't have a guaranteed pension, you don't have guaranteed, you know, uh, medical coverage. So that's going to create those issues that have to somehow be resolved, too. Yeah. And another uh, another thing, in fact, let's actually take a break and come back and talk about it, Ray. Yeah. But you also brought up education. So how do you educate oh, yeah. people to prepare themselves for the gig economy? Right. Interesting. Let's take a break. More with Ray Williams uh, on his Psychology Today article about the end of work, the rise and fall of the job. Folks, the future's a changing, and um, you might want to at least be preparing yourself for more of this gig economy. In a way, too, it might be a great, you know, for the baby boomers that are going to retire, 
maybe they can retire in the gig economy working, you know, here, working there a little. Um, interesting stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You better work hard for that money. You might be losing your job soon. Uh, Interesting guest. We're speaking with Ray Williams. He is the president of Ray Williams Associates, which is a firm based in Vancouver, and it provides executive coaching, and uh, he's an author. He's written many uh, books. He also um, has a, a blog called Wired for Success, um, um, and on psychology today and wrote a really interesting article that we've been discussing about jobs and the workforce and the future workforce. And folks, it looks like a lot of our jobs could very easily just be not el- yeah, eliminated, basically. You know, technology is going to replace them. Will your brick wall that you – that grandpa and great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa – those walls they've been building for years, now they're going to be build, built by a robot, 0482. He'll take care of it. So what are you going to do? Well, let's ask Ray Williams. What does the future look like? And, and these changes in this advancing technology in so many different fields, so many different ways with artificial intelligence, with robotics, we got we got to get a plan, folks. So, Ray, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, it's my pleasure to talk about this. What do you think? What is the future then? Um, I mean, if the jobs are going to be basically automated, many of them, um, what's going to happen? I guess what's going to happen with people is at some point the people are going to have to keep innovating and creating new, new things, new jobs, new techniques, new robotics, new AI. Right. Um, and, you know, I've talked to some – scientific experts uh, about this you know they're also called futurists too and and it raises kind of three basic questions here to, to kind of uh, you know respond to what you're asking here number one is will there ever be enough jobs for everybody in the future so we, even though we see unemployment reducing uh, you know many of the new jobs that are being created are, are lower level jobs they're not they're right. not advanced. Uh, complex jobs that guarantee you, uh, you know, lifetime employment, which is basically disappearing anyway. So uh, one thing is they're predicting is that there will never be enough jobs for everybody. And and uh, because of the robotic revolution, the uh, you know, artificial intelligence revolution, so what will people do? Um, so it raises this issue of uh, education. You know, what are we educating for if if you you can't educate for jobs that actually don't exist? Right. How how many how many computer programmers do you need when eventually you're going to have a computer program that <laughs> creates other computer programs? Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, that, that's that that's what we're doing, right? Every one of these new inventions is can eventually create or maintain itself. Right, and and so the the number of people you, you're going to need in that complex scientific uh, area is not going to is not going to be huge. So you're looking at basically the service economy. 
um, and personal kinds of work, the kind of interpersonal contact that mm-hmm. you know I may have with you that may perhaps can't be done by a machine, that that would be a future possible job in, in the health industry, in the personal services industry, that kind of stuff. And, and I think, too, we may see a, a, a kind of rejuvenation of, of what it used to be like in the past where creative jobs uh, that revolve around art and entertainment and music, et cetera, may be one of the growth areas hmm. because there, again, that can't be done by machines. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, what kind of numbers are going to be? How are you going to finance that? Will it be paid as well? Those are all kind of iffy questions. So the whole issue of education becomes a real difficult one. Um, you know, if you're educating for the future uh, and you don't know what those jobs are in the future uh, and how many of them are going to be, it becomes difficult for, for what post-secondary education looks like. Oh, wow. And you can already see that education is suffering in a way at trying to even just just to educate the current kind of state of just just the information age, let alone what happens when we're in the robotic revolution. I mean, this is right. – it's tough. Yeah, I, I think so. And even even now, and I think this is – you know, maybe we, we're, we're getting a bit off track there. There's, there are a lot of politicians and, and uh, so-called experts saying, you know, what we should be doing is changing uh, university education that's strictly utilitarian. In other words, only for a, a specific job and skill. Right, um, but what if that which one job and skill is going to disappear? No, exactly. <clears throat> well, I mean, you think about how many degrees. You, I mean, you can go get a degree in accounting, and it seems like accounting is something that you can fairly easily automate. I mean, I don't know if you fairly easily can, but if you can automate certain medical procedures, and if you can automate with algorithms law, then you know certain fields that every university is you know pushing out their back door. Those are not going to exist. So I guess who leads this, Ray? I mean, this is where I guess you need true visionaries. You need leaders that can start to identify maybe the principles that people need to be able to live. Maybe what we need to train people on is flexibility and yeah, I think adaptability. You've the, yeah, you've hit the target there. And, and it goes back to almost saying, you know, the purpose of education is to produce uh, really um, educated citizens. And those educated citizens – have the flexibility and adaptability to to perform well in any number of jobs. Yes, skills are important. Basic knowledge and you know math and science and and cognitive thinking and uh, problem solving those are all necessary. But it can't be all of that. And you know, quite frankly, to carry the kind of work I do, where executives run into trouble in organizations is not because of their technical skill; it's because of their interpersonal problems. Right. No, I, I totally see that. Relationship issues, right? Uh, and and yet we spend very little time on that educating people about that. How how, how do you how do you? I mean, because I guess that's the key, huh? In the future, there will still be people, and there will always be people. And it seems like, hopefully, it's, it's short of a Terminator experience, that the people will be in charge. So it's really about people skills and. And under, I guess, and then, and then other, you know, resiliency skills. Right, resiliency skills, uh, uh, collaboration skills, um, uh, the the skills of building communities, 
uh, the skills of you know dealing with uh, um, uh, nature problems associated with the, you know climate issues that we're still mm-hmm. dealing with now. Creativity, are, yeah, yeah. A lot of those are social issues. They're not just technical ones, right? So ed- education is a big one. The last thing I was going to mention that um, is coming up by the experts, and, and that is if we assume that there's not going to be a lot of jobs for people, and a lot of people won't have work because of this uh, revolution in artificial intelligence, um, the, the, one of the proposals that's been floated is to provide a living wage for everybody. So, for example, in, in Finland, there, that's a proposal that's now uh, being considered seriously. Hmm. Essentially, you provide an income for every citizen in the country to ensure that nobody is in poverty. Um, and then some people will work and a lot of people won't. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that would be a big one, wouldn't it? Yeah. That, can you see that one? That, <laughs> can you, can you imagine the talk radio around that one, Ray? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's being seriously considered in a couple of countries now. No, I can. And you can totally see how that would happen. And then, but then what happens I just almost think of it emotionally, psychologically. What happens to a human that can't find work? Or, you know, what happens to a human whose natural abilities are maybe much more inclined to, um, to, to the antisocial, non-creative job or experiences? I mean, you could end up ostracizing people that – and they would lose their identity. They'd lose this sense of – you know this joie de vivre. Yes, exactly, and and uh, so that's one of the issues we have to we'd have to wrestle with. The other one is, of course, the you know the really critical uh, perspective that people would have. Say, yeah, you can give money to people so they can sit around and smoke dope and and not uh, not do anything for the rest of their life. Uh, uh, so you know that issue comes up as well. Mm. So. Um, you know, what would we do with large numbers of people who can't work and yet we have an obligation to kind of sustain their well-being yeah. in some form? Otherwise, what will happen to them? Right. Well, I mean, I guess, too, um, it, whatever it is, it seems like it's going to end up – they're going to end up having to go back and help people. So maybe it's helping kids in school. Maybe it's volunteering in communities. What I mean, it, it just seems like – the, the future, it's it, it's not, it's not, um, it's so unknown. You're you're a leadership expert, and what, what do we do? Uh, you wrote the book Leadership Edge. What do we do with our leaders today? How could we? What should we be telling our kids? What should we be doing as organizational leaders to be able to look forward and and at least try to prepare for something we don't even fully understand? Right. Uh, great question. And, you know, where I've had dialogue with uh, the leaders I've worked with, uh, the issue comes up with, uh, well, what's what's my prime obligation? And so much of the prime obligation of leaders, of, particularly in the private sector organization, has been my prime obligation is to provide profit to shareholders of the company. Yeah. Uh, and and that's so that's where my prime obligation is. However, given the fact that we're facing things like, you know, permanent unemployment um, and the impact of automation, uh, as well as, you know, stagnant economies and, and everything goes along with that, uh, you begin to see that, you know what, there are other obligations of the leader, and that is um, how can 
I provide some value to sustain and support my community? What what can this company do to make the world a better place? Hmm. I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's good. Um, and so I think that kind of dialogue with leaders is really important so that they don't see that they just have one single obligation, but they have actually multiple obligations. It makes you, it makes you think, um, boy, there, there might be more value in something like Facebook or LinkedIn or some of these kind of social networking sites than maybe we thought. Um, in the future of a job, and it's already it already exists this way. I mean, the easiest way to get a job today would be through people you know, somebody that knows of the job and and can get you hooked up. But man, in the future, that sounds like it might be even more important to be able to deliver the goods, but also know the people. Yes, exactly. So the the whole issue of social networks and and their 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 power to connect people, and we're beginning to see this even in politics now. Mm-hmm. Where, where something is tweeted and it goes like wildfire through millions of people almost instantly, and that forms a public opinion, and that then people take action based upon that opinion. So that didn't exist twenty years ago. No, no. I mean, yeah. Nowadays, you can raise money, and you can almost probably raise money instantly simply because you can connect to your network so fast on an issue. Yeah. Right, exactly. And drive it. There's one other thing too, Matt, I wanted to mention yeah, please. sort of you know, where we're heading here and and that is this whole issue of uh who owns the robots. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the you know, a company produces a robot that you buy to you know, for example, clean the house or um do something in the company. Um uh, but particularly if you buy it as an individual a person. Do you own the robot now, or does the company own it? Hmm. In other words, what happens if that robot's responsible for some kind of damage that occurs to someone's property or to another person? Yeah, wait till you have a lawsuit because of a robot accidentally burning down your house. Right. So are you liable, or is the company liable? So so the whole issue of who owns the assets, and there's no doubt that um, in the long term, whoever owns the assets of of um, uh, all this automation, whether it's artificial intelligence or programs or robots, et cetera, they're the people who are going to have the power. Mm. So we're talking about power and of the of the whole automation revolution. Who's going to own all that, and what will they do with it? Wow. Man, these are great okay. questions, uh, Ray. And as just as we kind of wrap it up, what what do you suggest the average Joe, non-futurist, you know, just the average worker with four kids or whatever, what should they be thinking? What should they be teaching their children to prepare for this future? Yeah, that's a good question. I've actually talked to my own kids about that too. And uh, a couple of things. One of them is, uh, is about education, is to, to – um, to stop thinking about education as preparation for a job, yeah, but see it in a much broader context. Um, uh, secondly, is that within that education, um, really don't avoid or um, think that it's not necessary or important to develop that whole area of what I call social and emotional intelligence, because that's going to make you incredibly marketable out there. Yeah. Um, regardless of what your technical skills are. 
and and then thirdly is to is to start developing um, you know your networking skills. Get to be part of communities. Um, get to be connected so that. Uh, you can find out what's going on in your local community, what's happening in your state, what's happening countrywide. Um, so you're in the know about what's occurring, and and where it's necessary, where you have some interest, is, is to plug in and get involved. Um, and and I think that those kinds of skills and that kind of knowledge is going to be really really valuable in the future. I do too, and I, I mean, and and at least get you in the right circles with the right relationships to to be able to handle what's coming down the road. Ray, we appreciate mm-hmm. you and that your great work. Again, everybody, you can find Ray at um, – if you just go to Psychology Today, you can look up his blog, Wired for Success. You can also go look for some of his books that he's written out there, just Ray Williams. Um, if you type it in, you'll find him on Amazon. But Eye of the Storm is a great one, How Mindful Leaders Can Transform Chaotic Workplaces. The Leadership Edge is another one, and Breaking Bad Habits. Um, He's a prolific writer and has uh, got some great insight into the future and leadership. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we are, we're always on it for you. Today we're going to be, uh, Terry, we've asked, we've given Terry a special assignment. Um, how, because part of what we try to do is not only improve your lives, but improve the lives of everybody on our team. So we've asked Terry to go do some research on how to be a better, uh, what are we, like a team member? Like how to, yeah. how to, how to work well, better with people. It is Workforce Development Week. Part yeah, we're trying of to Workforce develop. is, you're in the workforce, how do you, you know, interact with other people, deal with common human niceties that you <laughs> yeah. may not want to participate in. Take a shower. Well, there's that. Okay. Like, like, what if you don't want to shake someone's hand? So this article is on lifehacker.com. It is titled, How to Warmly Greet People Without Having to Touch Them. Oh, you're kidding me. There Which is a big thing. And this starts out, I Yo, hate... Yo, dude. It starts, the, the author <laughs> writes, I hate... Hugging people. I don't know or even <laughs> or even ones that I barely know. I'm not the only one. I, I'm not a big hugger. No, you're not. I have an aunt. In I try to hug you every morning and you are just – you're kind of rude about it. I have an aunt in oh, San Diego. Gosh. Big I've, hugger. I've met her quite a bit. First time I ever met her. Big, huge hug. I'm like, okay, we're doing this. Does How she you smell doing? like perfume and – She probably smells Lovely lady. She's a wonderful lady. Yeah, I just don't want to hug. I know her better now. I'd hug her, no problem. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, the fir- there's people yeah, that want to hug. It's traumatic, sure. And I'm not big that way. So it says uh, – the guy talks about these uh, lead investigators of the science of people, and uh, are, uh, they're etiquette experts who founded a protocol school. So that's kind of some of their tips. Yeah. Says the key uh, time to use your body language to influence how other people greet you as they as they're approaching. Yeah. So, so right when they're approaching, you want to you want to move your body a certain way. Yeah. I like to just turn my back to him. The guy says he goes. <laughs> I've had plenty of awkward moments where someone went in for the hug at the same time as I tried for the handshakes. You know, like poking so him in the gut kind of thing. <laughs> And uh, the, the author says to avoid this awkwardness, you should first extend your hand. Make sure you extend yeah, your hand get it first out there early. so you're clear what you're intending on doing yeah. here. We're just doing a handshake. So as you do that, they'll be like, oh, okay, we're doing a handshake. And so mm-hmm. they'll switch that way. You can also use your handshake gesture to set personal space boundaries and indicate that you're 
your arm's length away should be what you're looking yeah. for. They also talk about if you're at a party, you have a, you have a drink or a bag or something, you can put that sort of in front of you, creating a barrier, <laughs> uh-huh. and that person knows they can't come in for the hug because there's something in the way. Right. Oh, that's true. Like that's why I always carry boxes wherever I go. Yeah. So there's yeah. always a box you have between a buffer. us. <laughs> that is not a I mean, Michael buffer. You know, it's funny. A lot of people don't think about any of this. They just kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know? Yeah. They just wing it. But others actually are thinking this through. Like, have something between you, like a fruit plate. Do you remember Bob Dole, right? Yeah. Where he had... Speaking of fruit plate. Bob Dole yeah. has a hand that doesn't work because yeah. of, uh, of, the war. of the war. Injuries. He yeah. held a pin yeah. in that hand that so smart. no one tried to shake his hand. Mm-hmm. Same kind of idea. You yeah. create a visual block... By the way, people go a different direction. He did that while he was running for president, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that just saw. Simpsons made fun of him for it. A friend just saw Bob Dole um, somewhere in D.C., and he, smart old man, asked for a kiss. Oh. And there's a picture of her kissing cute Bob Dole on the cheek. There you go. That's what I'm going to do. When I'm an old man, I'm going to ask every. Young per well, every young lady to say, "Hey, give give this old man a kiss." And this says, in the situation where <laughs> creepy old man, in the situation where you're greeting someone, a firm handshake works in most situations. Yeah, yeah. But if you're at say a neighborhood barbecue, might be a bit formal. Oh yeah, handshake maybe they, might, mm. like maybe this is where you give bones, or maybe yeah. this is where you give a little side hug. So hey, what? what, they, what I, it says I'm maybe in, in that scenario, a hug might be the norm because you're with people yeah. that you know. Yeah. And it says raise your arm up and wave when someone approaches. Soften the signal of not greeting them with the expected handshake or hug by warmly saying that you're excited to see them. See at the so barbecue, you, if you raise your hand, you got the high five going. You could do that. There you but go. the whole the whole point is not touching the other Let people. Let me give you another mm-hmm. one though that's just as works Put just a as surgical well. glove on. I like to just start coughing uncontrollably and then they just don't come on, they don't come near you. But then he says if you're not comfortable even with a handshake, you may need to you would use one of the few commonly accepted explanations. You're sick or injured. Simply say, ah, I'm just getting over a cold, probably don't want you know that yeah, kind I'm of thing. I'm a germaphobe. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> So they're encouraging lying. I wouldn't encourage lying, but there might be some things with the wave and maybe you get the greeting over with before they come try to hug you. And so it seems kind of weird like they're going to continue this. There's a very easy way to avoid this at a barbecue. Oh, yeah. Wear a tube top. No, cook. Wear a tube top. No one's going to hug (laughs) you. Just cook. Yeah, if you're over If you're cooking. That's true. Nobody wants to go stand by the grill. You've got utensils in your hands. That's right. you got a poker. Exactly. Plus, it's hot over there. You don't want to be – and I like to – whenever I cook um, at the grill, I like to be shirtless with, a, oh, with an go. apron. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just creates a yeah, really nice yeah. ambiance. Yeah, and everybody wants to eat that mm-hmm. sweaty food. Hot dogs! <laughs> so then it goes on uh, saying goodbye gracefully. It recommends having a specific reason for leaving. Just I use have email. It, have it all ready to go so you can get out of there. Like, hey, our kid's choking. Yeah. <laughs> On a so you know, at home. plan ahead. They're saying plan ahead for your exit. I'm sorry, my wife needs to be picked up. I gotta go. It says just as you <laughs> send signals about how you want them to say hello to you, send signals about how you would like them to say goodbye. It helps if you start things off with a specific reason for leaving. I must go. You know. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? Yeah. I think I have food poisoning. And he says, finally, go. rather than focusing on your anxiety, think about how you can show the other person you're truly excited to meet and okay. chat with them. And be the first in making that sort of yeah, thing known, yeah. and they back off because you've already said hello, so what's okay. the point of saying hello? Well, it's, a lot, it's a lot to worry about. It's a about. lot to do, but if you don't want to touch another person, this is how you do it. Or wear a tube top. Great insight. So that's, see, that's why you listen to the Matt Townsend Show, stuff you didn't even know you needed to know. Well, that's hour number one. We'll take a break. Come back with us. More fun next hour. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the program, which means if you missed the first hour, you got to go to iTunes in a few hours. Tune in, Stitcher, BYURadio.org. It'll be up there as soon as humanly possible. So it could even be up this next hour. We need the rest of the show yeah. to post with the first hour. We got to say, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when the hour ends, then you can post it, is what you're saying. Well, I need, I need all three hours oh, yeah. so at the same time. Two, two hours from now, you'll get the joy. Yeah, we'll get it up there. Um, lots to talk about today because, you know, you would think that uh, life would just – without Jeffrey Simpson here, who's mm. – I think he's decided that being with the family is more fun than being with us. Well, maybe maybe not. I doubt it. Um, but we miss him. So if he's out there listening, which I highly doubt he is. I didn't when I was near. No, I, was, I didn't either. Yeah. It's called vacation time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do what I do every other day. Come on. Uh, so joining us, Sean O'Neill's on the keyboard. Hmm. Again, it's not a keyboard. No, this is our band. This tickling is the, new the band. Ivories. He's so tickling the ivories. Not even close. And uh, Terry's on the uke. Okay. <laughs> and I'll just I like the. Is it a mandolin? Is that the other? Oh, there you go. Uh, you can do yeah. that too. Terry's on the mandolin. We got a lot to get into today. Of course, um, we'll be doing the empty news segment of the show. Uh, which is the news, the Matt Townsend news. Hmm. It's the news that you didn't know you needed, but it's still valuable. And we'll be celebrating uh, Whoppers, IHOPs, fries, everything greasy and good. Hmm. There's a story coming up there. Also, uh, He-Man qualifies for a special Florida Senate election battle. That's good. I've been wondering what he's been doing. Yeah. Now you know. He's running for the— I didn't the, know he ran for— Yeah. yeah. Senate okay. District 40. Is this uh, like—was this the same election that Darth Vader was running? I think it's a special election. That was in the Ukraine. Oh, okay. So it was a different election. But okay. similar, you know, maybe they're motivated by the same thing. Mm-hmm. I see. Maybe they're the same person. No. No. He-Man and Darth Vader are different. Yeah. But— I mean, He-Man did have that portal from Eternia, so he he had to do something with it. Okay. And he can't bring Cringer with him because, you know, Battle Cats and all. Speaking of Cringer. Sorry. (laughs) um, It is – it's Superman Day. Is it? It is? Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, I remember June 12th, uh, Superman Day. It's when the first comic book was published with Superman in it. 19 what year? Like who guessed? 32? Ooh, so close. 33. Uh-huh. 1933 by who? Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. Action Comics, right? Yep. Action Comics. He's picking up a car. Action Comics number yeah. one. Look at you guys. Numero uno. You guys are good. This is exciting. So we're celebrating Superman Day today. Um, or depressing, whichever. Yeah. We have lots of useless information. <laughs> Some of it's useful. We would be I, really. You yeah. could live a long life without knowing details of Superman, but it would be boring because Superman's awesome. Uh, he is. Okay. Okay. Well. Uh, we'll also be speaking with Julian Treasure, mm. reviewing an, an interview we did with him about um, the proper way to speak and listen. So, speaking skills, listening skills that will improve your life, your chances of. Staying alive, perhaps. And this show would probably be torture on his ears. Oh, he would hate it. Yeah. Proper speaking. Yeah. We don't done do that, done do. We don't talk good. 
No, we don't. <laughs> which is why, which is why we have a talk show. Yeah, of course. So we'll we'll get to all that excitement. Plus, of course, uh, other fun that we're not even going to announce. We're just going to let it appear. More spur of the moment. Yeah. Then then if it doesn't appear, then nobody you know no harm no one's the wiser, right? Yeah. So before we get to that fun, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on around the rest of the country? Well, Uber. If you uh, don't follow Uber, the ride-hailing service, car ride-sharing, whatever they're calling themselves now these days, they've had a very uh, difficult few months. The board of directors for Uber is reportedly meeting. They met over the weekend to discuss whether or not the company's founder and CEO, Travis uh, Kalanick, should take a leave of absence. The board has also reportedly meeting to consider the recommendations met by former Attorney General Eric Holder, after his month-long investigation into the company's culture and after allegations of rampant sexual harassment were made public, one of Holder's recommendation under consideration is that the company ask Emil Michael, the senior vice president of business, who is said to be close with Kalanick, to leave. So there's executives who could be leaving. The, head, the actual guy that founded the company could be stepping away, and that could be a recommendation by the people who are looking at how the company's being ran when it comes to sexual harassment and other problems wow. they've been having. So, you know, at the same time, you know, if you need a ride, apparently it's a, a service you can you can use if you want. But this is kind of what they're dealing with as a company. Um, other news: this one, this story, I found very interesting. A Missouri man spent nearly 17 years in jail after eyewitness eyewitness testimony found him guilty of a crime he did not commit until police discovered his doppelganger. Pardon? Someone who looked exactly like him. Oh, okay. So Robert Anthony Jones of Kansas City freed Thursday after a judge declared there was no longer enough evidence to support his conviction. It was during this time behind, his time behind bars that he heard of a prisoner who looked exactly like him. Not only did they bear an uncanny resemblance, but they also shared the first same name, or the same first oh, name. Oh, wow. In a last-ditch effort to appeal his conviction, many after many failed attempts, he brought up the information to his lawyers at the Missouri Innocence Project. Jones was jailed after being found guilty of armed robbery in 1999. No DNA, no fingerprints, or physical evidence identified Jones at the scene, but eyewitnesses positively identified Jones as the perpetrator after being shown photos of a police database. Witnesses were reportedly unable to get a good look at this face, but they remembered he was either Hispanic or a light-skinned African-American. So on the photo lineup, which his attorneys called highly suggestive, Jones was the only one who fit the description of either Hispanic or light skinned african-american oh, wow. right so he was the only one on the that could be that person they all agreed that they could not after they saw the the pictures of both of them together the 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 guy in jail and the doppelganger the judge agreed that they the, what the jones's attorney later showed the pictures of the two men to the victim the two witnesses and the prosecutor all agreed they could not tell the men apart investigators found his lookalike known as known as ricky he lived in kansas city um, near where the robbery took place, they arrested the guy while stopping short. The, while stopping short of saying the other man committed the crime, the judge found a jury would not be able to reach such determination that uh, this defendant was guilty in light of the new evidence. Jones, now a free man, says he's looking forward to spending more time with his children and readjusting to life. Holy cow! I think everybody That's needs crazy. a doppelganger. Yeah, just don't get thrown in jail for right. it, and that'd be bad. See what happens. Um, other news: Disneyland visitors got more adventure than they bargained for when a flock of geese let go in <laughs> flight, fouling the guests. No way! And like a flock of geese. Anaheim police and fire officials say 17 people, including six children, were hit by bird droppings just before 9 a.m. Friday. A hazardous material team was sent to Main Street near the Sleeping Beauty Castle after a report <laughs> that the uh, droppings had been thrown on people. It was quickly determined that the real culprit was a flock of geese overhead. 
head. Authorities oh. say the smeared visitors were taken to a private restroom to clean up and were given uh, with the, what they clean clothes, all that. Police reportedly said the guests were healthy, happy after the event. And it never said this, but you, you can't say no harm, no foul because – Yeah, yeah, there was total there was, foul. There was hey, is that where the word flocking, like a flocking of a tree came from? Because my grandma used to love a flocked tree. I don't know. But um, I didn't know that a flock of geese would all release their their bombings at one time. I don't know. Maybe it's just power of suggestion. Their internal clocks are synced somehow. Oh, Larry's letting go. Everybody let go. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So they probably got like Disney sweatshirts for free. They got all this free gear. I guess. I guess, but yeah, that's pretty Might gross. Might be worth it. Okay. Might be worth it. And tonight, Game Five, of the NBA Finals. Oh boy! Golden State Warriors, three games to one lead. They could close it out tonight at home. Oh. Cavaliers looking to avoid elimination. They're going to attempt to play defense. They're going to. Oh, they're going right. to. There's not time. been any defense. They, this has they, been like the All Star game in they, every single one of these games. They had like 90 points in the first half. They right? can't. They can't expect to repeat the performance of what 24 three pointers from the Cavaliers last yeah. game and yeah. 89 points in the first half. You can't do that. No, that can't happen. They, every they time. need to try to stop somebody tonight. So that won't happen, and I believe the Warriors will win tonight. Oh, it's a big deal because last time they were up, the Warriors were up where they are now, weren't they? Weren't they? And they and the Cavs ran the table. I think they tied it. I can't remember how that worked. Wasn't it? Weren't they up by three? I think they went to they went to uh, didn't Cleveland. the Cavs beat them in six? Yeah, no, it was seven. It, it was, was seven. game seven. Okay, so. but so yeah, exciting. The 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 Golden State Warriors last took, last year took a lead in the series. Cavaliers came back. It yeah. went back and forth. Cavaliers win it in seven this year. I don't know if they quite have the uh, the same team, the Cavaliers, to be able to do this in Golden State. Mm. Difficult place to play. Yeah, that's one of the hardest places there is. I hear. Well, we wish them all the best of luck. Just keep it close. I don't want a twenty point blowout, so I have to turn off in the third quarter. See, but like, I would be real. To I'm going to be terrified if because I'm kind of favoring the West. Why? Just because you have a... my jazz lost to the West. And? I just, you know, once in the West, go with the West. Okay. I just uh, want a good game so I can be entertained. All these games end in no, the third quarter. You don't even quarter. watch the game. You no, are, I do. I'm no, a... you were just talking about how you were reading other stuff during the game. Well, I got distracted. They dropped a really interesting movie trailer in the first no, quarter, and I was busy. If a movie trailer can distract you, then the game oh, must yeah. not be interesting to you. What? Well... Put your movie trailer away. It continues because now are all the trailer. Actually, this was a teaser trailer. Oh, a pre-trailer. Not yeah. even not even a regular. I mean, so this like is a, like ten seconds. A full trailer is like three minutes. This was a minute and a half. Gosh. So you got, you got pulled in by I've a got, pre-trailer. I've got four articles in the other room of what we learned from this trailer. Why? Characters Why? that are in there. What Terry, are they showing us? Terry. What they got right about the city? Because the city is very important. As so. somebody who almost died because my gallbladder. Yeah. Hurt me so bad. Yeah, you you gotta give up you gotta, all this stuff. Why? Because what, you could you could. Aren't you supposed to enjoy down, life? You, yeah. Do you know how excited my child was when I showed him the trailer? Really? Yeah. He goes, "What's this?" I go, "Just watch, just watch." And then all of a sudden he goes, "Is that the Black Panther?" And I go, "That's him." And he's like, "This is awesome!" And he ran around the room. I didn't know your son was into Black Panthers. Well, he's in the in the. They have Avenger Marvel Avenger cartoons. And That's he's a in very there. open-minded child. It's okay. It's not the protest movement. It's fine. It's cool. Or the, you know, possible militaristic group that yeah. worked in the seventies. It's a different group. I saw him on what. Uh, was it Forrest Gump? Yeah, they were in Forrest Gump. Speaking of protest movements, <laughs> uh, a driver does a chicken dance. What? 
Listen to this. When stopped by Port Port St. Lucy, Lucy, Port St. Lucy, Lucy police, Shane Forsyth started doing the chicken dance. But rather than celebrating the law enforcement uh, encounter, police say Forsyth's foul jig served a foul purpose, functioning as a diversion for the passenger in his sport utility vehicle to run away. Hmm. So you know there's talking in the car. Okay, you go do the you go do the chicken dance. Turn up the music so they can hear you, and then I'm going to take off running the other direction. Police stopped Forsyth's Ford Explorer on May 11th after noticing it was missing a headlight and it had an extremely cracked windshield and two bald tires. Boy, that was a very observant police officer. Police reported the vehicle traveling erratically when it appeared the passenger and the driver were wrestling over the wheel. Hmm. When the Ford pulled over in the driveway southeast uh, Wal- Walsh Terrace, the driver, Forsyth, got out. Police say Forsyth started doing the chicken dance, and the passenger took off running. So you're both in the car. You get stopped. The driver decides to take one for the team? Is yeah. that what I mean? Well, well, jig one for the team, yeah. We, well, yeah, but... We call it jig. What's the point of letting your friend get away? Well, you know why? Because the friend's name was Flo. And they're in, they're, oh, I thought they were in Florida. Oh. No. So uh, his name's Flo. So when Flo says, hey, chicken dance, you dance. Okay. Well, does he gonna, do you think you make a deal like I'll, I'll get you blank, you'll get so much money or whatever? I, they must have, I'll, I'll Flo, buy you a by happy the way, meal? they I never mean, found Flo. Wow. Flo really got out of there fast. Yeah, Flo took off and he, they tried helicopters, dogs, everything to find old Flo. Couldn't find him. Hmm. Which also tells you he had a great head start, but he wouldn't have had a head start if Chicken Dance wasn't there. Well, all they had to do was start playing this. What was amazing is that they had that on their iPod. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, just, you just cranked up the stereo and jumped Hit out of the car. It. <laughs> it was like, I got an idea. Oh. So and then you slow it down. Slow it down. And then you kind of just slowly just lull the officers to sleep. I get that. I get that. What do they think that's going to happen? Like the cops are going to start... Dancing with you? It's easy. Taser, catch the other guy. You know, in certain states, yeah. the guy would have just <laughs> <Come> been <on>. <laughs> shot. You move your hip one more time, I will have to take you out. Yeah. Um, okay. You, you could just say the chicken dance was a threatening movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of threatening movements, two He Florida was coming at me. me. Yeah. <laughs> what am I All to do? I saw was just his hips started moving, <laughs> and then I just had to take him out. Two Florida men reportedly broke into an IHOP restaurant early Sunday morning. And when they found him around 1.55 a.m., they found that there were three hamburger patties on the grill. Mm. Uh, the grill was turned on. They were cooking with a spatula. They were they were getting busy. They weren't robbing the place. They were just making some Well, I mean, they dinner. were. It was yeah. just taking them some time. There was some prep involved. Now, the thing that was really causing the problem is they were waiting for their French fries. You want it fries takes, with that? It takes a long time to get the fries, the, the fry oil up to yeah. temperature. And there's FDA violations. You don't want that. You want to have some solid French fries. Uh, I hope they had hairnets. Yeah. Where they gloved Wash your up. hands. The restaurant used to be open around the clock, but now closes at midnight. So these two decided that they're just going to get in and, and make their own meal. So the IHOP closed? Apparently. It's not those, a 24-7. I thought those were open just, you know, no. so you could catch used some guy yeah, at IHOP's 2 in the morning. Open, IHOP's open 24 hours. Apparently not in Florida. Wow. Oh, this was in Florida. Yeah, this was near Miami. That's where Flo went. He went to IHOP. Exactly. He was hungry. <laughs> After that chicken dance. <laughs> 
Who doesn't love a good chicken dance, though? Hey, our final story was He-Man. He qualifies for a special Florida Senate election. He-Man is running for the Florida Senate in Miami. And uh, no, he says he did not make up his name for the sake of politics. Christian He-Man Schlerth. I didn't know his. I didn't know He-Man's last name was Schlerth. Huh? Yeah, it is. Qualified Tuesday for the Senate District 40 special election. His name will appear that way on the September 26th ballot. That does not seem fair. A nickname? Yeah, yeah He-Man. Hmm. Apparently, that his mom and dad called him He-Man. Attesting uh, his his uh, that his nickname is real. It was it was his rugby teammates. It's what they've called him for years. He told the Miami Herald, "In rugby tradition, we have nicknames. Your teammates usually give you." Schlereth said, recounting that when he joined the University of Miami's college team in 2005, I showed up to practice. I was the biggest, strongest guy on the team, and so He Man was born. All right. How do you not I vote for He Man? Have the power. Right. 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 It's uh, it's how he gets introduced. Does he have Michael Buffer along with him or something? <laughs> Don't, doesn't say anything about Michael Buffer. Wouldn't that be great, though? Wouldn't it be great to have Michael Buffer introduce you everywhere you, you went? You can't afford that. That's expensive. I don't know. He is running for the Senate District 40 special election. Well, I guess you've got to use the money somewhere. How could you afford not to? Do you want to win or not? He, uh, man. I didn't know. I didn't even know he was a politician. Mm. It's good news. You sure that's not Hemmen? <sighs> yeah, Hemmen. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm going to vote for that Hemmen guy. I think it's He-Man, honey. No, it's Hemmen. Totally Hemmen. Hey, up next, we're going to learn how to speak properly so people will listen. If you, if you use the English language as you are supposed to, bingo. People will pay attention to you. Helping you uh, communicate better up next. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> little hear me roar. You want your communication to be so strong that it's like a roar, right? Well, do you remember when you were a kid and nobody paid attention to you? It didn't matter if you had just found the coolest rock in the world. You know, your parents would just pat you on the head and say, there, there, run along. Move along, little boy. Well, what if you could figure out a way to use your words, your communication skills, and your voice to get people to actually want to listen to you. Not have to listen to you, but want to. I mean, you do that, eventually people will pay you to listen, uh, to just come and hear what you're saying. So we, we found a wonderful article, um, and it's it's a TED Talk. Our next guest is named Julian Treasure, and you can go to his website, juliantreasure.com. But he um, he is a popular TED speaker and founder and chairman of the Sound Agency in the UK. He joins us now live from the UK to talk about his article, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen. Julian Treasure, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. It's a great pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. I mean, it's everybody has a you know a voice. They all can speak. Not everyone, but we all have the ability to try to influence others. But you're focusing in on the fact that how we say it, what we say, when we say stuff, the tone we use, these things actually make it easier for people to want to listen. Definitely they do. Uh, the voice is an instrument that we all use. 
and yet one which very people are trained in using. If you think about it, we have four ways of communicating, reading, writing, speaking, and listening. We only teach and test two of those. Mm. Reading, I mean, it would be shocking, wouldn't it, if a child left school unable to read or write? And yet, sadly, millions of children leave school every year across the world without ever having been taught how to speak effectively or indeed how to listen. It's so true. Those two things are very important skills in life. And in but fact, yes, they might be. Talk. Speaking and listening are, are just as important as reading and writing. I would say in many ways they're more important yeah. because this is the richest form of communication that we have. It's faster, it's more immediate, it's interactive. Uh, and there's so much more emotional content when you're speaking because you're using so much more than just the words. It's not just what you say, it is also how you say it. Mm. And it's, I guess, too, um, moving forward, it's, uh, it seems like it almost impacts our professional life, our money-making abilities maybe better than – I mean, some people might not ever care to see you write, more, maybe more than a, an email or a, a Twitter page or whatever, but, uh, or a tweet. But in the end, they, they're going to they're gonna hear you speak all the time. Well, yes, that's true, although I think uh, speaking and listening have been devalued over the last 40 years or so. If you think about it, most of the new communication protocols we've invented, email, SMS, yeah. messaging, they're all text-based, and they are kind of uh, distancing us from other people. There's a great TED Talk by Sherry Turkle called um, Alone Together or around this topic. Uh, it's a book she wrote as well. She's a professor at MIT. And her thesis is that technology, far from bringing us together, is actually driving us apart because we have this paradigm of people sitting next to each other texting somebody else. Oh, so true. I mean, and how many people avoid avoid having the conversations that are hard because we just don't, you know, we don't want to go there, so I'll just text it instead. But then you lose so much of your ability to influence. That's right. Well, the research shows that particularly for younger people, they would prefer to ask somebody out or definitely to break up with somebody by text hmm. uh, because it's safer. You know, it's arm's length and you don't have to deal with the, the reaction face to face, which I think is, you know, it's a concern because the richness of voice, the power of voice is absolutely enormous. And certainly if any of your listeners are up for making a difference in the world, actually for making a dent and leaving some legacy, you're going to need to speak. You're going to need to inspire people. You're going to need to enroll people in your vision, in your passion, in whatever it is. We, we can't do much on our own. And the way you make a great team is by talking to people. It's not by sending emails. Mm. So, so true. Talk to us in your article that you, you brought up the fact that there's seven, you call them the deadly sins of conversation that make it you know, maybe harder for people to listen to us. Um, talk us through what what are some of those sins, and why is it that listening and actually staying engaged when people are doing these behaviors is so difficult? Sure, I I'm not saying don't ever do these things. There's no uh, serious punishment for them. Really, the message is if we start to fall into the habit of doing these things a lot, then it does make us harder to listen to. And you know, if I go through some of these. Maybe the listeners can just reflect on, do I know somebody who does this, and do I really like being around and listening to them? The first one is gossip, by which I mean speaking ill of somebody who's not present. So it's very tempting, it's very seductive to do this. Uh, it's a fantastic exercise to abstain for it, uh, from gossip altogether for a day or a week, because then you really realize how much of the communication around us 
is that. And of course, you know perfectly well that if somebody's gossiping away, the moment you step away from them, who are they going to be gossiping about? It's you. That's right. Um, the second is judging uh, or condemning, actually. I don't mean being discerning in life. That's obviously very important. But, you know, we've all met somebody who's extremely judgmental and condemnatory and just um, everybody's wrong. Everybody's, you know, this guy's weak. This guy's useless. Very, very rarely have a good word to say about anybody. That's hard to listen to. Oh, so Third, true. we have negativity. And, you know, the story I told about that in my TED Talk is absolutely true. Towards the end of her life, my mother, uh, God rest her, is, uh, she became very, very negative. And uh, it becomes so difficult to be around that. I took a newspaper in to see her in the hospital. She'd broken her arm. She was recovering well. And I put the newspaper down. I said, oh, look, it's October the 1st today. And she said, I know, isn't it awful? <laughs> well, if October the 1st is awful, what hope is there, really? Because her worldview became everything's awful. And when you, when it's like that, you know, somebody will say it's raining again. You say, well, look, the forecast is brightening up later. It won't. That's true. <laughs> it's depressing. Yeah. It's depressing. Uh, fourth, we have complaining, which is the British national pastime. Now, I don't know about you and... Oh, it's um, here, too. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, Julian. Okay. Well, I thought you had probably had a more optimistic um, disposition out there, but we do complain about everything. Now, I'm not talking about, obviously, complain if you're in a restaurant and you get cold food or complain if somebody does something that's uh, you know upsetting you. I'm talking about complaining about stuff you can't control, the government, the weather, sport, you know, whatever it might be. That's just viral misery. It's It's not spreading positive vibes. And people who complain... The whole time. Again, we don't really want to be around them. Then we've got excuses. It wasn't my fault. You know, what can I do? You know, people who make excuses continually, often slightly dishonest excuses. Uh, Again, it's it's not very good to be around them. Perhaps it's a faster and easier thing to say, sorry, this is what I'm putting in place to make sure that never happens again, and now let's move on. So Uh, true. Penultimate one. Penultimate one we have is, is... uh, aggrandizement, exaggeration, hyperbole, which kind of moves into outright lying uh, if it goes too far. We all know people who uh, are not, uh, who are prone to exaggerate. To uh, and, and to be honest, this comes into language. And there's another great exercise I can suggest to the listeners, which is practice for a day or an hour, even if it's too difficult. Practice saying exactly what you mean without hyperbole. Hyperbole comes from the Greek. It means throwing over, throwing far. And that's what we do with our language. We litter it with reallys and fantastics and amazings. And uh, and pardon me, but I will just make a little comment about Americans and the way they use language. If a pair of trainers is awesome, what's a sunset? (laughs) That's true. And that word has kind of been devalued to the point where how do you describe a, a sunset? So it's a really good exercise to... Uh, tone down our language and, and really right size it, say exactly what we mean. And the last of the seven is dogma, my way or the highway, you know, confusing opinions with facts. And I, I do have a suggestion which yeah. is that opinions be offered by request only. Now, it's very rare that you get somebody uttering the phrase, would you like my opinion on that? Because the minute they the minute they the minute they want your opinion, it matters. If you're giving your opinion before they're asking for it, it's probably not going to be heard. Exactly, and of course we do have to be prepared for the answer. No, I don't want your opinion. So oh, I had a really good opinion ready to go there, but never mind. You know, we can move on. 
because uh, opinions are not facts. And if we confuse the two things, that results in a lot of table thumping and a lot of, um, well, not much learning, really. You know, you can't learn much if you know everything and it's all this way. So those are the seven deadly things. sins. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just habits to watch out for, really, because they rob us of power in our speaking and they make us, make us hard to listen to. Well, I mean, think about it again. Gossip, judging, negativity, complaining, excuses, exaggerating and, and dog, dog, dogmatism. I do. I Like you said, if I think of the people that use these or when I use these, I do feel like I'm losing people. I don't I don't want to just sit there and hear the complaining or the excuses or the. So the, the, the reality of what you're saying is what we are saying matters. What we're the topic, yes. the content we're bringing to the conversation has value and make sure you're you're focusing on positive value. Definitely, definitely. And I would suggest uh, just to turn to the light side, because that's kind of the dark side of speaking, the light side. That I would suggest there are four things to focus on in order to be received powerfully and clearly and to speak with maximum effect. And those things spell the word hail, so it's easy to remember. Um, hail as in to greet or acclaim enthusiastically. The H stands for honesty, being yourself just being straight and clear. Authenticity is the A, and that is very much uh, standing in your own truth and actually not pretending to be different from how you are. The I is integrity, being your word. If you're, if, if you're somebody who, when you say it, it happens, then your words have real weight and real power. And then the L, maybe surprisingly for some people, is love. And I mean kind of agape love, uh, just wishing people well not romantic love. Well-wishing is a wonderful exercise. And if you're standing in front of a group of people, it may be a thousand, it may be 10, it may be just an individual, and you're wishing them well and speaking for their benefit, then they will receive you much, much better than if you have criticism or it's all about you, of course. That's the other thing we tend to do. Mm. Honesty, authenticity, integrity, and uh, and love, or kind of the agape, as you were saying, the, the charity love. Um, it's it's these are just very basic concepts, Julian, and I think they're so valuable to all of us because if we if we could just keep ourselves centered on that. Let's take a break and come back, and when we come back, uh, continue the discussion of what makes it so people actually want to listen to us. That what we're saying matters. Um, there's the seven deadly sins, but then there's the other just basic, powerful cornerstones of speech, honesty, authenticity, integrity, love. We'll continue this discussion um, in just a minute, folks. When we come back, we'll also get into just some of the mechanics, your pitch, your timing, your tone, uh, all things that matter when it comes to uh, effective communication and speaking. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are uh, on the phone with uh, Julian Treasure from the website juliantreasure.com. He um, is an expert in speaking and uh, runs is the founder and chairman of The Sound Agency, a UK-based consultancy firm that asks and answers the question, how does your brand sound? 
um, and he's he's been written um, and has written articles and uh, and shared those through Time Magazine, The Economist. He's he's all over the place. There's a great TED Talk. Uh, you can also go look look up if you go to TED.com and and see the the work of Julian Treasure. He's he's talking to us today about how to speak so that people want to listen. And you know, I think we all just take for granted the fact that well, I have a voice and you have ears, so you're going to hear me. But you all, all of us, we all know what it feels like to not have somebody listen. And if you want power in your brand, if you want power at, you know, in your family, if you want power in your business, you're going to want to figure out a way to make sure that people don't just see you as a whiner or a negative person. And instead, they, you, you want them to listen. And he's been teaching us four positive ways that can improve your style is very much – it's just based in four simple principles, which is summarized with the acronym HAIL. Um, which is honesty, be true and clear, authentic, be yourself, integrity, do what you say, be trustworthy, and love, meaning wish people well, be there to do good and and to help instead of to to harm or to hurt. So, Doctor uh, Julian Treasure, we we appreciate you being with us. Honestly, to me, this is this is an art form that um, and a science too that we, that I think we've uh, we've all been missing. Yeah, definitely, art and science both. Uh, when you're talking about sound, both of those two things are in play. And I should say, Matt, talking about listening, of course, we're, when we're speaking, we're not necessarily in control of what's going on at the other end. Right. One distinction I teach, which is a really important one that I didn't actually talk about in the TED Talk because I didn't have time, is the idea that you always speak into a listening. Whether it's one person or a thousand, we all listen in an individual way. We all have our own filters, and I have a different TED Talk about conscious listening, which goes into that in a bit more detail. So when I'm talking, I mean, right now we've got however many thousand, 100,000, I don't know, listeners listening to this, and they all have their own individual listening. Well, if it's a room and you can see people, then it's possible to start to spot that. Little things, body language, just a sense of how everybody's reacting to what you're saying, and also who they are and what they like, what they don't like. If I'm speaking to uh, an audience of, I don't know, octogenarians, I would be speaking in a very different way to the mm. way I'd be speaking to a group of teenagers. So the listening is different from person to person and from group to group. And my advice there is to set yourself at the target of spotting the listening. Start listening to the listening. Ask yourself all the time, what's the listening? What's the listening? What's the listening? And you will start to become good at spotting it. And, of course, that determines the way you speak. Because just speaking the same way all the time, assuming everybody listens the same way, yeah. that's a grave mistake. In fact, just Saturday, I, I had a, a speech, two speeches that were back to back. The first one was to a group of women, older, probably you know adults, so maybe 18 to 80. And then right after that, 15 minutes later, I was asked to speak to another group of younger women that were ages 12 to 18. And the listening was completely different. The audience Absolutely. was different, and I, I, I noticed that I kind of went in with my original format and style, but it wasn't resonating. You could feel the dissonance in, as, they were, as they weren't getting it. It will affect what you say, so your cultural references perhaps and the words you might use. 
and also the way that you say it. So for a younger group, you might be more informal. It might affect the way you dress. It might affect whether you stand or sit and, you know, how your body language is and how you relate to the audience. So all of these things are important. It's important to remember that. Mm. Um, and I think we, we were about to come on to the, the technology of the voice. Right? Yeah. And it's the thing that I, in the TED Talk, I called it the vocal toolbox. Not many people know they have this lovely toolbox of really amazing things that we can do with our voice. So it's important to open that up and just have a rummage around in there and see what we get to. Should we do that? Now? Yeah, let's get into that because I, I, and it's more than just it's more than just volume, but volume would be part of it. Get into some of these things because there's there's some things like the timber that we don't know about or the register that we're not paying attention to. Definitely. Well, if I can start from the beginning, one that not many people think about, which is really important, is stance or posture. Uh, we're very used to sitting at desks and looking at computers and talking on the phone. And I'm talking to you on the phone right now, and I'm sitting down. If I lean forward to look at my computer, I don't know if you can hear through the phone line, but my voice changes because I'm stretching my vocal cords out. Hmm. Just in the same way, if you practice this at home, you put your head right back on your shoulders and your voice gets compressed. So we need to have our head nicely above our shoulders in order for our voice to work to its full extent. And that's something that people often forget. If we stoop or stretch or stand in an unnatural way, it can really affect our voice. And then moving on from that, the next natural thing is breath, of course, because your voice is just breath. Now, a tip for any of your listeners who have to speak in public and who feel nervous, you know that we come on stage and our voice starts to tremble a little bit like this because we're very nervous. Well, that normally comes from breathing like a bird, you know, tiny little breaths because we're so nervous. Take a deep inner breath through your nostrils, through your nose, a really big deep breath. That's giving you fuel because your voice is just breath and it also calms your voice down and it'll calm your nerves down too. So learning to breathe well is a very good practice if you want to speak powerfully. And a great big deep breath seems to kind of almost re-energize you, give you the oxygen your body needs to get going. Absolutely. Of course, if you're nervous, the other thing you can do from the, I think it's the second most popular TED Talk of all time, Amy, is a power pose. Go into a toilet somewhere and, you know, put your arms up as if you've just won a hugely important running race. And But just doing that increases the amount of testosterone in your body and makes you feel calmer, more powerful, more confident. That's great. So breathing, power poses, these are things that can really help with nerves. Then you mentioned register. So there's four registers, technically. I won't bother with three of them, which we don't use very much. The one that we use all the time is the modal register, which runs kind of from the head to the chest. So you can speak up in your nose like this. I'm speaking in my nose right now. Or you can go into your throat here, or you can go right down into your chest. And when you go into your chest, where I am now, you get a bigger cavity resonating. You get more power and more depth in your voice. Now, depth is important because the research shows that we vote for politicians with deeper voices, mm. everything else being equal. We associate depth with importance, with size, with weight, with power. So if you want to speak in power, it's a good idea to work on getting your voice down into your chest. And we are so prone. Most of us speak from our throat. We don't breathe very much. And we may even speak from our nose right up here. And we lose all that bass in our voice. Well, Absolutely. Nails, you know, doesn't matter. You can work on this. And if you find it difficult, just go get a, a speaking coach, a drama coach, uh, an acting coach, a singing coach, 
and they will help you to start to sense this and to be able to get your voice down into your chest. We've been in a meeting. Everybody's been in a meeting where all of a sudden somebody starts speaking and their voice is you know, coming from one of those other registers and you're thinking, whoa, that's weird or that's annoying or that doesn't seem like she means it. Well, let me mention just one uh, register, which is pretty common now in America, I'm afraid, and it's becoming increasingly common. Uh, it, it's almost fashionable, and that's called vocal fry. Vocal fry, I used to say this isn't used very much. It's basically speaking kind of down here like this. You know, it's kind of, oh, yeah, we're really stoked about this, this kind of voice, you know what I mean, um, where the vocal cords aren't really uh, making tonal sounds at all they're just flapping and it sounds insouciant it sounds disengaged it sounds kind of maybe a little bit cool i don't know but it's a shame because it's avoiding all of the richness of the wonderful human voice and i don't think it's very good for you speaking like that as well there are some funny examples of vocal vocal fry on youtube if people want to go and yeah we've, we've had them on our show they're hilarious yeah, so I do advise anybody who's listening to this and, and gets tempted to go into vocal fry because all their friends do, well, go explore the wondrous power of your voice and you will transform the way you communicate in life. Um, so let's let's talk about timbre, shall we? Yeah. What is that? Well, I, you hear that term all the time, and yet what, what, what does it mean? It's the texture of voice. So we use words to describe timbre that we would use to describe... Uh, real things in the world. And it tends to be that people prefer voices that would be described like you'd describe a hot chocolate, rich, dark, warm, smooth, sweet. Pretty much any word you can describe a hot chocolate with is a good word for a speaking voice, as opposed to thin, scratchy, squeaky, harsh, rasping, sour, uh, and so forth. Now, if you don't have perfect timbre, don't worry, because, again, it's something that can be changed with work and practice, and a voice coach can help you to get there. It's funny. So a lot of people, Julian, would think, a voice coach? Do I need a voice coach? But if, you, I mean, if you're in a position where people are listening to you or you want to get more people to listen to you and it could impact your job, it's worth getting, right? Well, I think we all have important conversations at some point in our life. It might be asking somebody to marry you. Yeah. It might be asking for a pay rise uh, or trying to get a job. Uh, it might be trying to get elected at something, anything, uh, leading a team. It, it is very important to have your voice at its best. And do you need to go to a voice coach? Well, no, no, I'm not if you want to carry on speaking the way you've always been speaking. That's absolutely fine. And if you're getting great results, then perhaps you're doing well. Uh, I, I come back to the point that so few of us are taught how to use this amazing instrument, the voice. And it does have such enormous breadth and capability and qualities to it. It is a wonderful thing to discover. So actually, I think it's a lot of fun to start working on your voice and realize that there's so much more you can do with it. Mm, so true. We've only got uh, time for maybe one more um, one more thing, Julian. Let me just ask you this: if if I'm if I'm kind of a newbie, I, I let's say I go watch your TED Talk and and go to JulianTreasure.com. What would you say is uh, the number one thing that I could do today 
to immediately see some impact, some improvement in my in my ability to to voice so that people will listen. Uh, actually, interestingly, I would say that is start listening consciously. Hmm. If we start listening to ourselves, and that would mean things like maybe record yourself, video yourself, you know, listen to the voice as it is out in the world, and listen to other people and learn from them. The conscious listening is the key to improving all of this, really. We spend a lot of time not listening because we're surrounded by all this horrible sound, and that's what the sound agency does. It's helped organizations to make better sound, hopefully make the world sound better. Right. Uh, nevertheless, as a result, we as individuals, we tend to suppress our listening. We, we're not conscious of it most of the time, and we don't even listen to our own voices. If you start listening and become conscious of it, then that is the first step. Then you're in a position to start doing something about it. Oh, it's so true. It really is. And then, you know, listening helps you become a better speaker. Speaking and understanding a listener helps you become a better listener. It's it's a cycle, isn't it, Julian? It's a circle. It is, absolutely. Speaking and listening are entwined in a dance. They're not separate things, and uh, the conversation requires us to be good at both of them. Oh, so true. Well, we appreciate your great insight, and again, suggest everybody go look up TED.com, and when you get there, just put in the name Julian Treasure, and you'll be able to watch that wonderful TED Talk. Also, go to his website, JulianTreasure.com, and look at his uh, his organization, The Sound Agency, which uh, will uh, be able to help you uh, make sure that your brand is carrying the right sound. Interesting stuff, folks. And it's all in your power, right? This is your life. It's your voice. And every single interaction you have could be improved just by knowing how better to listen, how better to speak, and share your message. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Have you ever been to a destination wedding? Oh, those are the best, aren't they? You know, they you fly in, you get to go hang out at the beach and just enjoy a wonderful wedding as sun is setting. Well, what if the couple told you that they're going to be getting married on Everest? Mount really? Everest. Now, probably not at the top, right? Because that would be amazing. But, well, that uh, would take months to get up there, yeah. though. Well, and, and who could be at your wedding except a bunch of Sherpas? Well, it's, hey, if you like Sherpas. No, you got to love Sherpas. But, I mean, especially because they're the ones carrying you up the mountain and bringing the oxygen for the party. Uh, the Amer- an American couple were accompanied by wedding photographer Charlton Churchill, who had only a small window to shoot the occasion between because the temperature was about a negative 20 to a negative 50 degrees Celsius. He said, I wanted to document a real couple getting married, the journey along the way, the pain, the happiness, the tiredness, the struggles, as well as being able to capture the chemistry of the couple, which uh, I think he did a nice job. He, he's got some pretty great pictures uh, near some of the base camps with this wonderful couple. But it seems like, you know, as if marriage and weddings aren't stressful enough, you also have to pack up your dress. And she is. She did. She's got a, a wedding dress on. Kidding me. No. He's in a tux. Did they change up there? They must have. Yeah. Oh, she looks fa- – I mean, it's an incredible view. And um, so talk about – boy, talk about making a memorable 
wedding and and you, you I mean honestly you got to love because you can't climb Everest together and then go through a divorce that's just bad karma well, that that's commitment that's some serious commitment they've um they decided to elope halfway across the world um you know why not when you're when you're climbing Everest Nobody will ever top your wedding photos because next time you're at a, a family dinner party and they're like, oh, yeah, we, yeah. Had our, we had our pictures taken up in the mountains. You're like, come on. We had a reception at base camp. <laughs> you're like, you think that's something? Our, our marriage is set for heaven because it, we, we took pictures in heaven on Everest. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. It's kind of cool. Uh, we'll post that on our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. So you can go check that out. And that's our number three of the program. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the journey with us, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, even at Everest. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. And we're back, friends. Welcome to your home here this fine Monday morning as you're making your commute to your wonderful workplace or, you know, wherever you're you're out to today. It's it's Monday, sure. But Monday means, hey, five days to enjoy the camaraderie with your coworkers, the excitement with your team, and just, you know, that feeling of stress that makes you know you earned your paycheck. Top of the morning to you. Or the bottom, as it may be for some of you. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest ideas, information, a leg up in this thing we call life. And hopefully some hope along the way. Today, uh, no exception, we will be talking about extroversion and introversion. Signs that you are an outgoing introvert. You could be what they call an ambivert. <laughs> and you just thought life was so easy. Well, let's complicate it a bit. If you uh, Maybe you like being social, but it wears you out. So you tend to also like going home and being alone. Ambiverts. A lot. A lot. Don't even open the windows. Nice, bright, sunshiny day. Live in a cave. Yeah, my wife is always, like this weekend, I'm like, let's just watch more Netflix. And she's like, no, let's get outside. Let's meet. Let's talk to people. Let's go on a walk. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I just fixed our sprinkler. I pulled my hamstrings. Yeah. You did enough outside work. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, just come on. Anyway, we've got a lot of fun. So uh, we'll get to that. Uh, extroverts and introverts and ambiverts give you some new insight on that. Plus, uh, also, of course, some empty news, some information you didn't even want to know about. I want to bring up a rock climber that will blow your mind what he did. Unbelievable. The guts of some of these people. Is he throwing rocks at you? No. Huh. Uh, you've heard of El Capitan, right? In yes. Yosemite National Park? Yeah. This guy climbed the entire thing without any safety gear. Straight up, mm-hmm. just straight up. I guess the first ever free solo ascent hmm. of El Capitan. Wow! Three hours, fifty-four minutes, untethered. 
yeah, hanging. After two minutes, I'm going to be done. Can you imagine be, like being just halfway up, fifteen thousand or fifteen hundred feet up there, and you are you know you're now hanging on by your wedged feet? Well, I can imagine being halfway up and then going, oh, I can't make it. <laughs> like I'd be like, I have got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. Boy, oh boy. So we'll talk about that feat. That's pretty amazing. Or crazy. Is it crazy? Don't you, know. You're untethered. 31-year-old. That's crazy. Yes. Death-defying rock climber. We'll get to that head, headline plus uh, just a bunch of other news you may need to know. In fact, I even see Terry is ready to talk French fries. So um, this could French be a, a very exciting, exciting hour. We'll also get to BYU Sports Nation, of course. Plus our hero of the day takes place in the air. A, a brand new nurse, 22 years old, gets called into duty mm-hmm. while flying on just a tr- on a vacation. Boom, saves a life. Not a big deal. Just what we do in a day's work. All that straight ahead. But first, let's get to Terry and what Terry does in his day's work. The headlines, Terry. What do we need to worry about? The U.S. Whoa, the U.S. Navy's newest combat ship was put into active service following a commissioning ceremony Saturday, naming it after former Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. Oh, cool. Who was injured during a 2011 shooting. Giffords told the crowd in the ceremony the Texas Gulf Coast city of Galveston that she was honored for the 421-foot-long ship, which will carry her name, and the vessel is strong and tough, just like her crew. The Navy said it named the ship after Giffords because of the perseverance she showed after the shooting. That's great. Over the weekend, the Powerball ticket worth nearly a half a billion dollars was sold at a convenience store in California. The jackpot worth $447 million is the 10th biggest in history, and the odds of winning were just 1 in 292 million. Wow. Now, the winner can claim his ticket or her ticket prize beginning Monday morning and has a year to do so. The winning ticket was sold at Riverside County, which is south of L.A., uh, the lottery website usmega.com, which is apparently a thing, estimates that the federal tax withholding on that much money is $273 million, You saw a $273 million lump sum. <laughs> yeah. It would be nearly $68 million. State taxes could knock you up another $24 million. Those fe- figures are just the amounts withheld up front. Your final tax burden is likely to be even more. Yeah. So you'll end up with like $100 bucks. You know what? I'd risk it. But it's only $100 million that you'd get. What do you do with $100 million? What are you going to do on that? So, you know how many French fries you could buy with $100 million? Well, be careful because they could kill you. A study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, ah. you subscribe, has linked uh, eating fried potatoes, including French fries, home fries, curly fries, waffle fries, hash browns, tater tots, and JoJo's. What, what about chili fries? JoJo's? I don't know what JoJo's are, but it says JoJo's here. And other variations that they uh, might have forgotten here. If you eat them at least twice a week, it shows an increased risk of death. What if you eat them three times? I don't know. The study tracked potato well, consumers and blah, blah, blah. It says, according to researchers, the twice-weekly fry consumption more than doubled the risk of death. And is not, it's not the potatoes that are the problem. Eating them boiled, baked, mashed didn't seem to pose the same risk. It says mm. the study is unclear as to what exactly caused the correlation. Most French fries have a lot of added salt and fat. No, it's not Both that. of which can be uh, taxing to the system. It's also possible that adults who are consistently reaching for fries had nutrient-poor diets overall. You know what it is? It's going 70 miles an hour after you spill your fries and you're trying to get them out from between the seats. Boom, you're dead. You're dead. So Seems obvious. Yeah. Salt, there are JoJo's. What are those? Are they they're, they're, they're like potato wedges? Yeah, they're wedges. They're breaded or something. Oh, they yeah. call a potato wedge as a JoJo. Yeah, I don't know why. Which is different than a dojo. Right, this right. is true. And in other news, McDonald's recently launched... Twister fries, 
to its mm, menu. Really? The catch would be in Singapore and the Philippines. Oh, okay. Uh, the new kind of fries. So in other words, they have curly fries. They didn't have curly fries before. Now they have curly fries. Except it's not yeah. here, of course. So who cares? Is um, It's never here. It's always over there. Right. Wow. In other news, Samsung announced uh, about a week ago that it's now preloading its Bixby Virtual Assistant on its Family Hub 2.0 refrigerator. Come again? So Samsung makes fridges. Yes. They're putting a uh, virtual assistant in the fridge. So the same kind of thing that's in your phone. Well, Bixby's on the new Samsung 8 phones they put out. Why are they naming it after Bill Bixby? That's what I want to know. Is it going to turn into the Hulk? Could be. It's their Siri, their Google Voice, whatever. But they're putting it in the fridge. Oh, boy. So now you are out of milk. So their Family Hub 2.0 fridge has, uh, let's see here. The assistant will let users search for recipes and weather information with their voice. Because when you're standing at the fridge, I you're like, weather. is it raining? Yeah. I need to know while I'm standing at the fridge. Joshua left the fridge open. Uh, is it makes, raining? It says the fridge has a 21-inch LED touchscreen. See, uh, now, now, standing in front of the fridge, I want to watch my sports. Yeah, if that's... Oh, that would be cool. Well, uh, some of the features it has, you can touch a button and it'll show you a camera shot from inside your fridge so you don't have to open the door. So, but with <laughs> but with a screen on the fridge, you could just watch your sports in front of the fridge and when you want something, you just open the fridge, reach in and get it. You don't have to sit on the couch anymore. Right. Oh, that would be Put great. a chair in front of the fridge. So they want to they want to implement this assistant in all their electronic, you know, TVs, See, this phones, is, what do we call it? The right? internet of the, the... Internet of things. Yeah. Here we go. So We're losing they, our lives. They want you to have something to talk to with your fridge instead of just, you know, keeping your food cold. So anyway, so Stacy was me being really rude. And I don't know what to call her. I don't know what to say. Should I call my mom or not? And this rolled out a few weeks ago, but we didn't uh, air it. But what? it is something I think a lot of people might be a little bit surprised to know. Yeah? You can order food on Facebook. Really? Why? Messenger or where? It says the feature is available to users on the, uh, the Facebook app and via the desktop site as well. To access the new feature, simply go to the main navigation menu, scroll all the way to the bottom. Once there, you should see order food option alongside a corresponding hamburger icon. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love ordering food. It says the entire ordering process is surprisingly efficient and streamlined with the underlying heavy lifting being powered by mm. another website to get started. So you just you go through. You can order food. Yeah, but so. Why not? Well, now you'll never get off Facebook. There you go. They never want you to leave that website. Why go to another website to order food? Just do it right there. Boy. Well, and will it sh- I guess it'll shop for you? You can shop there. You can do all kinds of things. You can buy fidget spinners. What about the day that we used to just get in the car, Mm-mm. drive to the store? Yeah. Tell mm. our kids no, no. I, I read some no. more. More stores are closing. Yeah. I can, Across I can the hear, nation. I can hear Facebook in the background. I'm kind of a big deal. Kind totally. of a big deal. Yep. Unbelievable. Wow. You know, I thought my story was cool about the guy that climbs – um, El Capitan, El Capitan. Mm. but apparently not as cool as your story. What was my story? Well, the story about Facebook fries food killing and people and virtual assistants in your fridge. So you can. So if we take that, if we extrapolate all those stories that you put together, yeah. What's the theme? You kill yourself with Facebook. Yeah, pretty much. When you order fries, there you go. So would you rather risk dying by fries, or would you rather risk climbing three thousand foot climb, four hours long? 
free soloing it. If you're dying by fries, you ain't going to be climbing El Capitan. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you'll have those greasy fingers, which would be exactly. sure dead. Slip off the mountain. 31-year-old death-defying rock climber began his ascent just after 5.30 a.m. Saturday morning, dressed in his favorite cut-off nylon pants. Mm. I've been there. Have you been there? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think he'd been there. His name is Alex Honnold. Uh, he scaled the new heights, which really, I mean, this is like the perfect game times a thousand. Okay. For a rock climber, this is you climbing, and it's a zigzag pattern. But he knew every he knew every crack he would take mm-hmm. all the way up, because you can't get halfway up and run out of cracks and then all of a sudden come down. Right. That would be your death. Yes, you can't get up there and go. Now what? You need to know what to do. So he studied it in his head. He had to know every fissure, every crack. He had to know how he would do everything all the way up. Does he have a map, do you think? Yeah. Do you think it's on paper somewhere? I, apparently, I think it is probably on paper. Did they send a oh, drone? it's in his head. Did they Come send on. a drone up to like somehow to yeah, he had to take pull pictures? Out a, he had to pull out his phone and like, okay, now we're to make Siri, sort of, which, which crack should I take now? Is there a video game where he sits there and climbs his guy up Al Capitan? But he did it. And, nice. And, and Dunn survived. Well, obviously, he's telling us about it. My bet is he's been up El Capitan before. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But, you know, what have you done today? I've pushed a lot of buttons. I drove here. I drove the freeway and made it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah through, that is a challenge. No small Boy, I, I don't want to brag, but I seriously shot the gap today. I um, <laughs> there's And I don't know why they put it, but there's a sign. You always have some harrowing experience on the way to work. There is a sign now as we go into the Lamaze section of is it the one that Ave. says caution, caution, yeah. caution? And no, the, this is, not is this the section where everybody's breathing hard? The Lamaze? Uh-huh. <laughs> road narrows. Yeah. That's, uh, Lamaze. Not Lamaze. That's the different section. But I was breathing like that. But I, I had, I think I pretty much, I stopped at one light hard. Like it, it, it I only had to wait like one second mm. from the freeway yeah. to the, my office. One light, one second. That's crazy. I didn't even stop. I just kept rolling. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, you hit that one that tells you how fast you're going. Mm-hmm. Oops. As you're kind of <laughs> through going the curve. through yeah. the construction site. Yeah, it's kind of a chicane type and of I'm situation. Like, and I'm always like surprised. Like, no way am I going that fast. Right, me too. And I usually bring it down a notch. I also think, yeah, so. Or two. What are you going to do about it? You're going to pull me – there's no one there to pull you over. So this guy thinks he's all that because yeah. he climbed El Capitan without any ropes. Yeah. He hasn't driven to work. You make it work. through summer freeway construction. That's right. Oh, yeah. You've done something. And especially without almost hitting a student because these people are everywhere. They're like deer. It's like we're at a university. Anyway, that's crazy. Crazy embarrassing, actually. I shouldn't have brought that up. Now you all think I'm a bad driver. But am I? No. We don't I'm, think that. I'm you're, a, you're a fast driver. I'm an efficient driver. I drove behind you on the freeway once. I tried to keep up. You couldn't and I'm keep like, up with me. I don't want a ticket. No, well, I just set my I set my little thing. Oh, by the way, I did get a police escort. Oh, did you? <laughs> For about half of the freeway, we were all following again oh, at, at 69 miles an hour, a highway patrolman. Yep. But I was at 72. Yeah. And just passed him. Yeah, they don't. They don't blink. They don't care. 75. They get kind yeah. of concerned. And well, and if you like you. get crazy and like, you know. Yeah, you try to cut them off or something. You don't they take that personal, so don't do that. Yeah, let's not tick anyone off. <laughs> don't want to go there. Hey, uh, speaking of ticking people off, Tennessee mm. authorities charged two men with several wildlife violations after they were found in possession of more than 40 fish. All right. Which was well beyond the legal limit. Absolutely. 
The two men, Mark Stephen Jones, 35, and Robert Earl Wilridge, 28. Earl. It's Earl. <laughs> Earl, yeah. Earl, for short, were each charged with or, three counts. Or do they call him Bobby Earl? Uh, yeah, Bobby. Bobby? Hey, Bobby, Bobby Earl. Earl. Bobby Earl. Okay, go ahead. Bobby Earl uh, were each charged with three counts of over the krill limit of bass. Oh. Once you're over the krill limit of bass, illegal possession of wildlife and not having a life jacket. Bond for both men was set at $1,500. The arrest came after the landowner reported two men trespassing on his property. Oh, boy. So – and then it got crazy. The landowner basically confronted the two men and then they mooned him. They mooned him. <laughs> and then tipped over a porta, porta potty and then he's like, OK, now I got to do something. OK, it's one thing to steal yeah. the fish illegally, you know, over the krill limit. But once you do something as distasteful as that – right. And then you tip over the porta potty, you're going down. Yeah, you've crossed a line. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was Bobby Earl. Bobby Earl and uh, Stevie Jones. They're um, they're in trouble. <laughs> Busted. See how you like tipping over porta potties yeah, in the on. in the clink. What is, like? How, did that help the situation? It was it aiding in the escape? Is this like when you're running behind you to tip it's over like, boxes? It's or like something? a chicken dance. It's a distraction. Yeah, it was. A, I don't know. Hey, Jimmy. No, what's his name? Bobby. It's like, I know. Moon him. We'll That's get even. We'll, we'll tip over the outhouse. No problem. What's happening? Oh, well. And these guys are, they're not like 16 year olds. That's what you'd expect from a 16 year old. Right. This is 35 and 28 year old. But they were over the curl limit. That's true. They knew they were just stealing. High bass. crimes. They had, to, they had to make a getaway. <laughs> high crimes and misdemeanors. There you go. I think literally those were high crimes and misdemeanors. At the most. And you know what, Mark Stephen Jones and Robert Earl Willridge, grow up. I don't want to be rude, but grow up. You don't tip over porta potties. No. I mean, everything else is understandable, <laughs> but don't tip over a porta potty. Up next, folks, we're going to be talking about uh, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Obviously, those two are extroverts. Uh, what about being an ambivert? We're going to talk about the signs that you are an outgoing introvert, also known as an ambivert. Up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Here's the deal. You know, you may have heard that there are two kinds of people in the world, introverts and extroverts. But have you ever felt like you didn't quite fit into either category? You know, maybe you you tend to be a little outgoing, but you also like being alone. It's hard. And especially, how do you host a party? Because you like them to come over, but man, you wish they'd leave. When are they going to leave? Well, maybe not everybody fits into that perfect little category of introvert or extrovert. And uh, yet, uh, when, we, when it comes right down to it, we all need to try to figure out a little bit more about how we operate, who we are, and uh, who better to help us with that than Jen Graneman joining us. She's the founder of IntrovertDeer.com, the largest uh, community and blog for introverts and highly sensitive people on the web. And she says that introversion and extroversion are not black and white. She joins us today to discuss a category of people she likes to call ambiverts. And welcome to the show, Jen Graneman. Thanks for being here. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. By the way, I am so excited to have found the site because uh, I am an introvert, high sensitive, but I'm probably an ambivert, high sensitive. 
And okay. to now have a resource where I can go to understand myself, it's uh, super awesome. That's great. Thanks for being here. Talk to me about this. Uh, maybe just explain to me, all of us, uh, what, what's the difference between introvert and extrovert, and then where does ambivert come in? So an introvert is someone who is sensitive to stimulation. So they feel drained by socializing. They're also pretty reflective and internal people. They like spending time alone so they can tune into their own thoughts and recharge. Extroverts, on the other hand, they like to get out, they like to socialize, and they actually feel energized when they're out and about and around people. Uh. Now, ambiverts are kind of a blend of these traits. For an ambivert, their energy depends on the situation. So sometimes they act like an introvert, but sometimes they act like an extrovert. They Hmm. embody traits from both sides of the personality spectrum. And and these people are stable, right? Yeah, they're stable. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Because sometimes you don't feel like it. And I'm probably really not even an ambivert because I just – I really am an introvert. But – because you can be an introvert and play and still be social, right, and still be good at being in front of people and handling it. But if my true – energy is growing and and recharged by being alone, then I'm probably more of an introvert. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to call those people outgoing introverts because they're truly introverted at heart. They need to get um, alone time to feel good and feel recharged, but they can also play the extrovert when needed. Uh, I was listening to your show the other day and you were talking about your birthday coming up. Yeah, yeah. You were saying that you want people just... Yeah, you wanted people to just leave presents and right. then go. Go away. And I thought, I wonder if he's an introvert. Totally. That sounds like an introverted thing. Yeah, I'm a total introvert, except I do all these things that seem extroverted, but it drains me. Yeah. Isn't I that a weird that. job to have? Way. Like, have a radio show, but, and then, and do public speaking, which I do a ton of, and TV, and then, but it drains me. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to that. I'm actually a teacher myself, so mm. um, my job is very extroverted. You know, you understand me. Finally. Yeah, I get it. Plus, you're a high-sensitive person, and we ought to have you back just to talk about that, because that in and of itself is a whole other category, too, that that also uh, it, it even adds more insight to your introversion. Yeah, it's fascinating. Introverts and extroverts can be highly sensitive, yeah. and it means you're more sensitive to... Um, any kind of outside stimulation like noise, people, smells, uh, people's emotions, yeah. smells, exactly. Light, yeah. right. Yeah, oh. exactly. So talk to me about this. Uh, your, first of all, a great website, introvertdeer.com. And um, on there you posted 10 signs that you are an outgoing introvert. Give us some of the signs. What are the things – I mean really, the ambivert. It, you You can probably – play both sides of the the spectrum in the game, but what are the signs? What are the signs that we need to be looking for? Yeah, well, first let me say, most people tend to fall into that ambiverted range. Think about introversion and extroversion being on a spectrum with introversion on one end, extroversion on the other. We all know those extreme extroverts who hate being alone and get a real high from socializing. And then we probably all know some extreme introverts, too, who prefer to spend most of their time alone. But outgoing introverts and ambiverts fall closer to the middle. Um, So there's a few ways you can tell if you're an outgoing introvert or an ambivert. So the first one I kind of already mentioned, but your energy level is closely tied to your environment. So you're sensitive to how your surroundings look, what kind of music is being played, how many people are present, the volume level of the room. 
So the ambiance of a restaurant or a place can energize you or drain you depending on the on if the place fits your preferences. Mm. So for example, maybe a loud rock concert in a crowded stadium is overwhelming and draining to you. But if you're at your favorite local music club, which is an up close personal kind of concert, which is to see other people, then you actually feel relaxed. So that's one. Oh, that's so true. And which might, um, you know, like there's certain restaurants that you go into, uh, not to, you know, be negative about Hard Rock Cafe, but if I can't hear what's going on, literally, I'll just phase out. Like, I'm just going to take a little yeah. nap here with my eyes yeah, open. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. But but that's, I mean, it's interesting because, so one of the signs is is if all of a sudden the surrounding, the environment is impacting your ability to engage then you've got more than just outgoingness going on. I mean, you, you've, you've got something else going on. The introversion side's kicking in. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Give us another one. The other one is, and then the second one is you find people both intriguing and exhausting. Yeah, so you like being around people. It's not that you're a recluse who hides away in your home all the time and very few people are like that. But you can only be around people for so long. You like meeting them, you like hearing about their life stories, you like hanging out with them, but you can only endure so much socializing before you need some downtime. Mm. So maybe after a busy weekend or a long day at work, you feel the need to disappear and recharge by being alone uh, or just with one other person, uh, maybe a best friend, a trusted roommate, or your significant other. Mm. Yeah. Bing! Got that one. So yeah. you look at it, I mean, because it, it, it is, it's like every person is so different for you. And I mean, I know another sign is just simply that certain people or certain types of interaction are harder for you to even, you know, want to do, maybe to stomach. I mean, certain people with just higher pitched voice um, might wear me out more. I mean, not, it, that sounds rude, but it just, it, it ends up, it becoming it becomes more exhausting or other people that that need more from you i mean that i guess that's another clue that you might have a little introversion on board yeah exactly so you might have a few friends that you feel like you could hang out with for practically forever i have an introverted friend who i feel energized after i'm hanging out with her but then there's other people that just drain you after being around them. And like you said, it might be the sound of their voice, it might be their conversation style or whatever, but you leave the interaction feeling worse. So that's another sign that you might be an outgoing introvert or an ambivert. Well, and people, don't they, if, if, if you haven't gotten into this and studied about your own introversion or high sensitivity or extroversion or ambiversion, if you haven't studied it, you might start thinking you're crazy. Like you might even right. start thinking, what is my deal? A- an hour ago, I wanted to call these people, and now I can hardly wait to leave. Right. Yeah, I'm very much an outgoing introvert, and I didn't know about my introversion until a few years ago, and I did sort of think there was something wrong with me because I liked relationships, I liked being around people, I liked socializing, but only to a certain extent. And I started to feel guilty about my need to want to run away and be alone. And there'd just be days where I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to hang out with people. And I, I thought, you know, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I like that? So finding out that I'm an introvert really changed my life and made me feel a lot more comfortable about who I am. Oh. 
It really is. It's it's like a it's a learning and and to know it younger and younger. It's fun because with my own children, I'm able to help them figure this out earlier, and it, and it actually explains why they don't like certain things and why they like other things more. It's just more information, right, to navigate through life. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important for children and teenagers to recognize what their temperament is. I think that would have been incredible for me if I would have known about my introversion at an earlier age. Oh, parents, we've got to learn this. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Jen Graneman from introvertdeer.com. Seriously, I've seen a lot of websites, and uh, this is a rich website full of uh, information, great articles and insights about introversion and high sensitivity. We will take a break and continue to uh, help you understand where you fit. Like, where are you? Not that you need to be categorized, but that you do need to understand yourself and why certain people bug you maybe and certain don't. Why you might be more outgoing and maybe why you're not. Stick with us. More coming up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you an introvert, an extrovert, or a little bit of both? Called the ambivert. Joining us is Jen Graneman. She is the um, the uh, founder of introvertdeer.com, a wonderful website uh, for the introverted and the highly sensitive people. And again, you can go there and learn a lot because if you know somebody I mean, your spouse, if your spouse seems to be more introverted and you're frustrated by the simple fact that he never wants to go out to dinner or she always wants to go out to dinner, this might be a wonderful place to start understanding those differences. Um, Again, you don't need to understand the difference to uh, divide yourself. You might want to understand the differences to better unite and connect to each other. And we are honored to have her back. Jen Graneman, welcome back to the show. Hi. Thanks for being with us. I know yeah, it's hard as an yeah. introvert and a sensitive person to want to do this. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I have to admit, it is a little intimidating. I know, but you're good. You're handling it wonderfully. And um, oh, again, you're you. in the hands of an introvert and a high sensitive. So we're all friends. I'm in good hands, son. You're in good hands. Talk to me about um, one of the other points that you make as a sign about introversion versus extroversion is simply the idea that you um, you might – you might actually notice that your energies go up and down. So I might feel recharged, and then that's when I go invite people to be a part of my life, and that's kind of where the outgoing extroversion comes in. And then they might wear me out, and so I need to pull away. So it's kind of constantly this movement of energy. Yeah, exactly. It's an ebb and flow. When I feel energized, like when I've had time to myself, then I'm reaching out to people. I'm calling up my friends and asking them if they want to go get dinner. Or maybe I will go to that party that I was invited to. But then there's other times where my life has been really busy and I haven't had enough time to myself. And the last thing I want to do is be around other people. Right. And then you just – and I guess that's the benefit. That's the neat thing I learned about some of this is you can can always leave – the idea would be, because as an introvert, I might inherently not go, 
but it's probably good to still go to things that I can go to and then just leave when I need to. Just kind of yeah. But don't exclude myself and hide myself away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one good bit of advice for introverts is if you're feeling like the party or the happy hour or whatever the social event is is going to even in some small way be meaningful to you, just go and then give yourself permission to leave whenever you want to. You don't have to stay all night. You can uh, leave when you're starting to feel tired. Right. And in fact, it's best to leave when you're just starting to feel the first um, bit of tired instead of waiting until you feel completely exhausted because it's a lot easier to recharge from just feeling a little bit tired than it is from feeling completely exhausted. Yeah, it's so true. And um, do you do you sense that – I mean, I guess we kind of live in a world, it seems like, more suited in a way for the extrovert. I mean maybe especially in America where we – it's about, you know, you got to go sell. You got to go be – you got to be out there. You got to make noise. You got to be noticed. You got to be seen. Is 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 introversion um, – is it a disability or is it, an, is, is it just a neutral thing? You know, that's a great question and people ask me that a lot. I don't think it's a disability at all. I think it's just a different way of interacting with the world. Extroverts have their way of interacting with the world, and introverts have their way too. It's it's not bad. It's just different. Yeah. And again, we revere kind of the outgoing, except the outgoing is probably backed by a, a bunch of information, data, and knowledge of the introvert as well. We The world needs both sides of this, you know, of interaction in order to be healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Do do you um do you notice too, I guess, that it's in a relationship, it, it, do you want to marry an introvert or would it be better to marry an extrovert that pulls you into the world? And but then that seems like that would constantly cause some friction. Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot too. It depends on what your preference is. There's no wrong answer. A lot of introverts find extroverts to be really exciting and they bring some enthusiasm and energy to their lives. And sometimes the extroverts can be the ones that go out into the world. They're the ones who are socializing and starting the conversations and sort of pulling the introverts along for the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you, a lot of introverts really love having extroverted significant other, others or friends. And then there's introverts who say, no, I'd like someone who's more like me. So the advantage, obviously, of being with an introvert is you have someone who understands your need for alone time. But I think that kind of relationship can have some pitfalls, too, because one of you, um, or I should say both of you, have a tendency to want to stay home and not go out and socialize and not go out into the world. So, you know, you can kind of get into a little trouble there because you need someone sometimes to be the one who pushes you out the door. Yeah. Do you um, – we also have ambiverts, right, the people that are both kind of sides of the equation. I guess in the end, um, how how would you suggest people go about figuring out what they are? What's the best way to determine if you're an introvert, an ambivert, an extrovert and starting to just kind of maybe get uh, get a, get informed and, and gain the knowledge they need? So if you're an ambivert, people often mistake you for an extrovert. 
I get that all the time. People ask me what I write about. I say introverts. And then, of course, their next question is, wait, are you an introvert? (laughs) And when I say yes, they're pretty shocked. They just don't quite believe it because I can put on an extroverted face and be social when I need to. So at the end of the day, I'd rather be hanging out at home, reading or watching Netflix than going to a party. Every day. I think that's the bottom bottom line for ambiverts. Do people confuse you for an extrovert? But do you really like to have your time to yourself? Introverts, you are someone who likes to recharge alone. You're drained by socializing. Extroverts, you enjoy getting out of the house. You enjoy socializing. And in fact, you feel really good when you're with other people. Totally. Man, we got to figure it out. And I think in the end, just learn, right? Just learn. Just figure it out. There's no, yeah, I think, and it's not. I mean, I, I mean, I say it's not permanent, but it's you, you, you. There's, it's not just black or white. There's this spectrum that you were talking about, and you might find out that in certain situations, you you actually become a little different than what you might normally feel like you are. Yeah, exactly. For a lot of introverts, they their personalities come out when they're comfortable around people. When they're just meeting people for the first time, they might be kind of quiet and shy and they don't want to let their true self out. That's certainly the way that I am. Mm. But then once they get to know someone, they feel comfortable with them and this whole um, incredible inner world of theirs comes out. Yeah. And then boom, you can be you. Yeah, exactly. Powerful. Appreciate it, Jen Granham. And keep up the great work there. The website, Introvert Deer, um, powerful. Uh tool for introverts and high sensitives and anybody that might know somebody that's more introverted or a highly sensitive person. Thanks again, Jen. Keep up the great work. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is that time to take it down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and find out what will be coming up on their show in about 12 minutes from now. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Governor. Are you excited for the game tonight? Oh, is there a game tonight? Absolutely. Holy cow, Oakland I missed it. A's and Detroit Tigers. <laughs> I love baseball. Bruggy. <laughs> hey, I am excited. Um, any, any, any predictions? Ooh, I think the Warriors are going to win tonight. It's going to be, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a beatdown, right? The so. Cavs needed to set an NBA Finals record with 24 made threes <laughs> and have a questionable officiating night, crazy physical chaos just to win that game. Yeah. Well, they scored 100. Th- it was the perfect storm. They got one. They offset the faux, 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 16 <laughs> and 0. You know, potential streak there. Right. And it ends tonight, I think. In the, yeah, I do too. The Land of Oak. It's going to take a similar performance from Cleveland to even be in the game. And I don't see that happening two games in a row. I don't see, like, they're going to make sure the tone is different. Plus, I know I know that uh, LeBron and company won a couple last year. The Kevin Durant factor is unbelievable. Yeah, that seems to be the deal, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. In, in an era of everyone gets a trophy, it all needs to be fair, 
Guess what? Sports aren't meant to be fair. And the Warriors are unfairly amazing. <laughs> incredible, yeah. And they're going to win in five tonight and cap off this incredible three-year run where they get two titles, and the only one they didn't win was because Draymond Green decided to kick people Come on, Draymond. undercarriage. <laughs> so he was suspended. Otherwise, this would be three in a row. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that is funny. The old undercarriage kick. Those are the worst kind. Hey, um, do you guys – what do you think of Dwight Howard's comment that he he would pick Kevin Durant now over LeBron? He just thinks Kevin is better than LeBron I think it's short-sighted. Yeah. Look at the whole whole year. Look at the whole game. Look at the whole everything. I mean, right now, Kevin Durant is playing the best basketball of his career. Like, right now in the moment, it's like, yeah, Kevin Durant's awesome. But if we're talking about taking a guy – what has Kevin Durant done before this versus Build what LeBron's team around. done? You know what yes, I mean? Kevin Come on. Durant, Come on. He Come inherited on. a He's team amazing. that was already great. Right. No, he is amazing for sure. Kevin Durant. But what, what about LeBron? LeBron goes, the best teams player. get better and win. Yeah, LeBron yeah. makes everybody better, and he just doesn't have enough around him to offset the amazing Warriors. Maybe the real question is, what has Dwight Howard done? <laughs> great point. No, that, listen, that's a great point. Listen, previ- previous to this year... Dwight and Kevin Durant had the same amount of finals appearances. Yeah, exactly. One, and both had lost. That that could all change tonight. It could all change tonight. Hey, uh, one other question for you before I let you tell us what's on your show. Okay. We just talked about introverts or extroverts mm. and ambiverts, which you know are kind of outgoing introverts. Which one are you? Extrovert, introvert. Ambivert. Oh, clearly we are both introverts, it'd which be, is why we do a daily yeah, sports it'd be, show. Yeah, it'd be hard to be an introvert and be in this situation. But I am an introvert. Nobody believes it. But I, I like just doing my deal and then going and hiding under my table. <laughs> is that weird? Is that, is that weird? I mean, it's just what I am. I think you're situationally introvert. I am. I can – believe me. I can pour it on. I can I can be as social as you need me to be, but I've only got about 12 minutes of it. Then I collapse in a heap and need nutrient. <laughs> That's, hey, do what you need to do, Manny. Just it's an like, interesting way to phrase it. Just, I collapse and then need nutrient. <laughs> one I, single nutrient. I only want one. I need mineral. A singular nutrient. That's it. I, no minerals. Oh, no, 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 mineral. I want a mineral. I need mineral and, and a nutrient. nutrient. My favorite medium, mm. the internet. You guys, you guys are my heroes. Um, introvert, because you're, you're extroverts, and you guys are ripped. You know, we're to just be- verted. There's no extra. Yeah. Just- don't you feel like? Don't you feel like? Well, when it comes down to version, Spencer is the most verted. He's the most yeah. verted. Yeah. He is the universal vert. He's just very sick vert. Ed. <laughs> Spencer's very whelmed. <laughs> He is whelming. He's um, whelming. So uh, talk about your show. You, you guys are going to still do your show today, right? Oh, today we got a lot going on. Yes. We really do. In okay. the spirit of the Warriors. Ooh. The greatest NBA team ever. Mm-hmm. Listen, it probably is the case. Yeah. Okay. But why settle on just the NBA topic? Let's take it to BYU, shall we? And why settle on one sport for that matter? Ooh. This is the greatest team in BYU sports history. We will discuss. We're going to discuss specific sport and year. Okay. Really? Yeah. But of all sports? Greatest all BYU sports. team ever. Like greatest, the most dominant? Yes. Yeah, and there's one obvious answer. Spencer will also give an answer. 
So there's the obvious right answer, and then there's Spencer's answer. Spencer's answer, I am leaning that direction. I don't think it's the right answer. Well, it's going to be the national really, championship really, really year. Interesting answer. I mean, you got to go with that. We've discussed this before on the show, but we're going to bring it back. Oh wow, okay. this is exciting. Plus, plus, uh, we'll we'll discuss too a little bit what's what the greatest basketball team was in BYU history. There's there's some questions there. Yeah. Uh, plus, we'll talk to uh, Blaine Fowler. He'll be in studio. Hmm. Blaine was a part of uh, a couple of teams that Spencer and I are going to bring up. Plus. Like a lot of other stuff going on. Jacob Brugman made his debut in the majors Friday night. We told you Friday, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Thursday that we thought this was going to happen soon. He didn't just make it into the majors. He played four games. He went from batting ninth to eighth to seventh to first. What? Had an incredible catch in left field against the Rays. Also had six hits in his final 12 at-bats, two RBIs, two walks. Not bad. Not bad. For BYU's first guy in the majors called up since 09. That is great He will news. join us tomorrow. On the program, by the way. Uh, live or? Oh, yeah. Live. Oh, yeah. Plus, the uh, the team that is producing the most USA players at the next level. We will discuss and uh, kind of update you on how those guys are doing. Are you not entertained by the tease? <laughs> I am totally teased and whelmed. And what did Kyle Van Noy and Jamal Williams get over the weekend? We'll tell you. Ooh. They got they got some material items. Hey, did you guys go to a tease class, a tease writing class last week? Because your teases have picked up. We may have, but we'll tell you coming up if we actually did. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Find you, out after the break. You guys are teasers. All right, I'm proud of you. Tell Lou Holtz hi. I will. Lou called. You're a game fighting Irish. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it with that. Lou Holtz will be apparently coming up on the uh, the big. Yeah. Uh, hey, and remind me to tell you about how a guy tried to pick a fight with me in Long Beach. <gasps> yeah, he paid Tomorrow. for that. Yeah, Tomorrow. okay, I okay. got to write oh, that Spencer down. Linton, you think you're so tough, man? You think you're tough on that BYU Sports Nation? <laughs> well, we have sound from it. Apparently, that's great sound. Great. Okay, no tomorrow. Tease. Tomorrow we will find out. Did Spencer fight back? Ooh, this is exciting. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Oh, boy, that's intense. Did Spencer take the bait? Did he? Did he jump in and, and start fighting with the guy in Long Beach? Hmm. And was that really Lou Holtz? It's a lot of... Sounded like him. Totally. It's totally, totally, totally. Oh, boy. Okay, so if you've ever thought that, you know, it, this country's just going down the drain and people aren't taking care of each other like they used to, not true. Here's an example. A delayed train kept Jarek Marco Alcantara from his official graduation ceremony. But it did not stop his friends, family, and fellow subway riders from ensuring he uh, experienced some pomp and circumstance. Alcantara was set to graduate from Hunter Bellevue School of Nursing in New York City on Tuesday morning and uh, left early enough so that he would be able to arrive well before the ceremony at 9.15. His Manhattan-bound train came to a stop, and after about 45 minutes, he said, I knew I was already late, but I kept hoping that you know I'd at least make it to the walking, being able to walk. I would miss the entire you know, all of this talks and stuff, but I would be able to walk. He told the New York Magazine Select All, as the tickets uh, or the minutes ticked by Alcantara, donning his cap and gown, knew he wouldn't even get there in time to, to do the walk. So guess what? Everybody on the train put together an impromptu ceremony for him. 
It, was, it wasn't so much an idea, but something that just happened, he said. Everyone was getting antsy and impatient, so I figured I'd lighten the mood by thanking everyone for coming out. That led to applause, and the rest just followed. His friend created a diploma on his cell phone. A writer started to play music on his phone, and everyone watched as Alcantara received his own private ceremony on the train. That's pretty cool. That's nice. Taking care of him. The train was ultimately delayed for three hours, and by the time oh. Alcantara arrived at campus, his fellow graduates were leaving. That didn't stop his, he and his friends and family from holding another spontaneous ceremony, this time inside the auditorium. It was a great time. How cool. <laughs> Plus, he could say he graduated twice, once from the um, subway in New York City. I mean, and by the way, shouldn't everyone graduate from that? Do you get street smarts there? Yeah, you do. Okay. You pick up street smarts. Now, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. By the way, that was the the pre-hero story. Another hero story is a nurse. Uh, on the job only nine months, Courtney Donlan sprang into action aboard a JetBlue connecting flight from Fort Lauderdale on Monday. Around 7.30 a.m. over the airplane's loudspeaker came a crew member asking if any medical professionals were aboard. Though sleeping, Donlan, 22, was awakened by the announcement. She stood up, began putting her newly acquired RN license to good use. A nurse in the respiratory care unit at Robert Wood Johnson Hospital uh, in New Brunswick uh, since New- no- or September, Donlan helped save the life of a fellow passenger that was experiencing a cardiac event. Uh, she said, I just stood up, went over to the flight attendant and started doing everything I could. Her nurse training kicked in immediately. Also, I was trying to think a step ahead. If she loses consciousness or a pulse, or if I have to give CPR, what do I do? I was thinking, how do I make it uh, when I don't have everything I have at work? Anyway, uh, the, the, the patient was a 57-year-old woman, and uh, all she had was a stethoscope, blood pressure cuff, oxygen, a defibrillator, and aspirin to begin treating the woman. Eventually, they had to ask uh, fellow passengers if any of them had more aspirin, so they were able to give her some aspirin. The the patient had pain shooting into her left arm, obviously a sign of of a cardiac event. Anyway, she worked her, took them, did everything she could, stood by her side. Eventually, the plane was diverted, landed about 20 minutes later when Donlan then went off the plane with the patient down to the paramedics and was able to give a full uh, history and account of what happened. So she is the hero of the day, Courtney Donlan, 22 years old. And that's the thing that makes a hero, right? Just being willing to be there when people need you and then taking your extra skills, your, your wonderful things that you've learned and, and lifting another life. That's what we challenge all of us to do. And that's why we do the show, to give you some hope that life is still good. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, make it a great one. Let's take care of each other. We'll talk tomorrow.